Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality analysis podcast. And we are gathered. Let chaos reign. My hovercraft is full of eels. I will not buy this record. It is scratched. All Mimsy were the burrow graves. And the mom raths outgrave. And this concludes the formalities. I am Steven Zuber, your, uh, one of your hosts, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Brian Deacon. Hello, everybody. And we just had a fun time ripping off the joke entry that uh, Doof Media does when they open up their podcasts, or at least their We've Got Ward episodes, uh, which reminds me this is a Doof Media production, so we've got that out of the way. We are a tad discombobulated because we're starting like 45 minutes late because of technical difficulties, which also explains why Brian's mic is coming in a little different than usual. Yeah, it looks is- like I'm, uh, I've gone through two Yeti Blue mics, so... Uh, sponsored by Not Yeti. Yeah, I... Fuck those guys. I don't know what the issue is with it. It seems like... I I mean, I've had my own annoyances with them, but it's mainly just dramatic changes in its automatic recording volume, which makes it super annoying to edit. Um, Wait, is this one of those things where I can pull one of those, like, prima donna podcaster things, and if I just, like, complain in public about the product, like, somebody from Yeti's going to email me and try to take care of my shit? That'd be awesome. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, Yeti, if you're listening, please send us better mics. Listening. There's like 20 people listening. <laughs> <laughs> One of them's in a van out in the front of my house. Well, that makes that makes at least three people. All right. Um, so, Brian, we covered chapters 32, 33, and 34 today. What were your thoughts and takeaways overall? This was a lot of reading this time. It was many pages. I had to read for like almost an hour. <laughs> felt like homework uh, I was still pretty good I think I like the the the, the action-packed scenes I think uh, wasn't quite as good this time as the uh, the first set of battles was really well done but I think it was, it was still pretty good I liked it it was definitely different yeah and then, was a little more involved yeah and then we get some more yeah there's just we'll, we'll talk about it I guess in depth as we dive in but yeah. um, speaking of which we can just go ahead and start doing that so Chapter 32 is this fun little Christmas interlude. Speaking where... of diving. Uh... Oh, man. We have to wait till next chapter Oof. for that. All right. <laughs> so. Oh, spoilers. Oh, wait. No, we're allowed to spoil it. Yes. We everyone should be spoilers. read up through at least the right chapters at this point. Um, chapter 32 is interlude, personal financial management. And this one is where Professor Quirrell grudgingly takes Harry Christmas shopping. And Harry wants his pile of gold to go Christmas shopping. So Harry wants to get something really nice for the Weasley twins because of how well they fucked with Rita Skeeter. Um, Harry doesn't know she's dead yet, does he? No. Um, nice. It doesn't seem like it. I feel like he would be acting a bit differently if he knew that. Pro- yeah, probably. Um, oh, yeah. And, and Quirrell does make another thing, make some other little comment about crushing people again in this, it was either this chapter or the next. Something we read this week. But, uh, but yeah, so Dumbledore is only letting Harry have five galleons, which you did the math. It's 250 pounds, which is a lot for a kid, but not a lot for a millionaire. If my math checks out, which, yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, for an 11-year-old, that's, do you remember being 11, having 250 bucks would have been a complete windfall. That'd be but nice. I also wasn't buying my friends things that cost uh, $500. So. I know, that'd be like the equivalent of, like, getting your friends an Xbox each. Jeez, yeah. Like, I should have had like, more oh, friends thanks. growing up. Here's an Xbox. <laughs> yeah. 
So, yeah, it starts with Harry arguing with Dumbledore, and he refuses to budge regarding Harry doing anything smart with his money, because Harry's complaining that, like, just letting it sit in a vault collecting dust is, like, the most irresponsible way to hoard his cash. And yeah, it's like it irritates him that it's happening. It's not even so much about the, like, the, it's just the principle of it. It's not even so much about the money. Yeah, I mean, I, I can kind of sympathize. I, I, I know I of of people who have large sums just put in single savings accounts at banks and it's like not even in like a high interest savings account and then I plan on touching this money for 15 years and it's like there's I it, it's not even my money and it's more just like why are you doing this wrong <laughs> yeah but people are gonna do what they're gonna do so um yeah so anyway so on that part oh yeah and Harry's like uh I would say yeah you pulled the quote but because uh, Dumbledore actually I like Dumbledore's re- reply better but Harry's like how can you be because Dumbledore says like oh we can't let a kid have that much money um, and oh you did pull the right quote and Harry's like I can't believe you would be so manipulative you want to read it? it's your quote you could read it manipulative said the old wizard smiling slightly no manipulative would be if I did not admit it side note it's still manipulating even if you admit it uh. Or if I had some deeper motive behind the obvious. This is quite straightforward, Harry. You are not ready, you are not yet ready to play the game, and it would be foolish to allow you thousands of galleons with which to upset the game board. (laughs) (laughs) I like the metaphor, it's a good metaphor. Yeah. And it was just like him, it was almost like Harry was expecting him to like tiptoe around saying what it was clearly. He's like, no, you're a kid, fuck you, you can't have the money. Yeah, basically. Like, was, was I supposed to be sensitive? Was I supposed to be worried that, that, that I would put it that way? No. Yeah, it's fun because Dumbledore is like, I don't know, we've seen him be everything from serious to batshit crazy, but he mm-hmm. seems capable of, you know, putting on his serious hat and putting his foot down when he wants to. Mm-hmm. So then there's a scene change to Christmas in Diagon Alley, and it's all pretty. Everyone's dressed bright and things are all lit up, and it's, it seems like the, the season to be merry. Yeah. And it was, and it's like people from wizards from all over the world. I got kind of like a like a Star Wars cantina or some kind of like Doctor Who vibe of like random people from all over the world shoved together, kind of like an airport where like mismatched people dressed exotically. That's a good point. I wonder, like Diagon Alley probably isn't just like a Britain Britain thing because it's so much easier to travel internationally. Yeah. Like it's probably like a Mall of America style. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And then he says in here that it's like that says that oh Diagon Alley must be kind of a big deal because of all the people that are here for Christmas so although I never get the impression Diagon Alley is very big yeah me either I don't know it's quite small at Universal Studios and it looked small in the movies so (laughs) in any case uh oh you want to grab the Quirrell quote or like the the description it just so it opens with like uh um just Quirrell saying like no uh, yeah, because he asks him something. I think it, it uh, comes out like it's implied that he asked something afterwards, but it just uh, okay. that's, that's the first yeah, line of dialogue. Like, no, said Professor Quarrel with a look of grim revulsion, like he'd just bitten into food that not only tasted horrible, but was morally repugnant to boot. That's a good line. It was the sort of grim face an ordinary person might make after biting into a meat pie and discovering that it was rotten and had been made from kittens. <laughs> no, nobody likes rotten kittens. Yeah, you got to get that prime kitten meat. <laughs> I like my kitten fray. <laughs> so it comes out with, uh, like, what I like about that is, like, it just, 
that's exactly how I imagine the character that we've built up for Professor Quirrell asking, like, hey, mm-hmm. what do you think I should get them for Christmas? And he's just like, fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you and your Christmas. Yeah. I like and what, what this made the little note. It didn't have much to do with this quote, but it just reminded me um, that, like, at this point now, because I remember last time I had thought, like, oh, I had forgotten that Quirrell is supposed to be Voldemort. Like, they did such a good job with this other completely different Quirrell that I've just completely let go of that storyline. Um, but I was more just like, like, oh, I've let go of it, like, being reminded of it constantly. But I think I had still sort of thought that, oh, he probably still actually is Voldemort. Uh, but now I'm just like, okay, I guess he's probably not because he says too many things that kind of don't fit with him being Voldemort that I'm just kind of on board with. We've completely gone in some entirely different direction with Quirrell. And he's, there's still like, you don't know because he still goes into his, his weird like zombie mode, which before which seemed like we were supposed to think right off the bat is just, you know, very clearly him, you know, being taken over by Voldemort. Um, but now I have no clue what the hell's going on. Maybe he's like, is taken over occasionally by Voldemort, but isn't aware that it had happened. So I don't know, but it seems like this is a real person, uh, that it's not just like Voldemort pretending, um, but it's not Voldemort. So I don't know what's going on. I don't either. It's weird. Yes, you do. You don't know. I, let's see. I've got a canned response for everything, but you didn't set me up for this at this point. I forget who it was on Discord, but they said I should just, should just answer everything that, like, you're like, does this come up? Is this a thing? I need to just answer every time. Yes. I can confirm that is the most important thing in the story. Yes. See, is it important that Quirrell doesn't like Christmas? That's the most important. You've just I nailed know. it. Yeah. Perfect. Nailed it. All right, then. <laughs> so then Harry tweaks his request to cater to his audience because... Quirrell just kind of throws out this flippant, like, well, you know, you could ask which family members they most dislike and then hire an assassin. I know someone from a certain government in exile who's <laughs> quite competent and he would give you a discount on multiple Weasleys. Multiple Weasleys. Um, and then I like this line too. This Christmas, said Harry, dropping his voice to a low register, give your friends the gift of death. I heard it as much more like announcery than... Than foreboding. This Christmas, give your friends the gift of death. <laughs> and it's like, especially like a Christmas, yeah, a Christmas commercial, one of those like Lexus commercials with a bow on top of the car. And yeah, and then like that. he's then he says, "What? Well, look, I'm trying to solidify their loyalty to me. You know, make them make the Weasley twins my minions." Like, so he's basically catering his his pitch yeah. to, to Quirrell to try and you know just like look, you know, I I need to I want an idea. How do I have to sell this to you and yeah, um, and he does he does that same thing with Draco. What uh, when I read it this time, it reminded like it's a lot more transparent. That I mean, it wasn't like it was it was fairly obvious when he does it with Draco, but I guess because he's been doing it more and more, and he's not very convincing in the way he does it. It's um, sort of like you like he's got not a lot of tricks up his sleeve to try to do this, and he just sort of tries to frame everything as oh, but I'm really just being a manipulative psycho. Um, and it doesn't sound convincing at all. So, and I think also, but probably Quirrell was not buying this. We don't really get much of a reaction one way or the other. But except he I does gotta, actually, gotta, he does actually give him a suggestion after this. Oh yeah, as far yeah, as far as that. But yeah, I never, I didn't get the impression that like Quirrell was sold on this because especially because it was fairly lamely done. But I think and I, the impression I get from it though is like Harry wants to like he is legitimately like actually just friends with people. Um, and he wants to try to frame it in the way that is going to help him get away with it, but he's just not good at it. And so he's got this sort of like very kind of 
stilted attempt to cover it up it doesn't work very well so. <laughs> i think it i think he's catering it to quarrel like if he's asking yeah. hermione for ideas he'd just be like i'm trying to get my friend's presents what do you think i should do and she'd be more than yeah. happy to give him a real answer yeah. whereas with quarrel he's like what are friends what's christmas yeah, exactly. fuck off no but and i think but i think we're so supposed to, i'm not quite sure what we're supposed to make of it but that we're supposed to see this as like awkward and not very well executed like he's trying to make it sound like he's a bad guy but he's not good at it and and yet Quirrell plays yeah. along and gives yeah. him the idea of giving them better wands or new wands because yeah. apparently they're using yeah I almost get like the impression wands. like Quirrell's just sort of like not he's like not really interested in contradicting like he's he's bored with trying to you know have Harry contradict him about whether or not it's nice to give people presents he's like fine okay whatever you could get him wands he's playing the game one level higher than Harry yeah um, yeah because they're they're currently using secondhand wands so that'd be a very yeah. thoughtful gift and then Harry says well at least he didn't suggest getting them a pet rat. And uh, Quirrell is like, what do, you, what do you mean? So he didn't know, apparently, the, the backstory there. Yeah, and he said, because when I read that, he says, and where had Professor Quirrell been that he'd never heard the story? Harry had gotten the impression that everyone in Magical Britain knew. Um, so I read that, and I'm like, oh, there's some kind of significance to this one. That, you know, the fact that Quirrell doesn't, doesn't know this thing that everybody knows means something. Just the way that was phrased, I'm like, okay, I'm, spo- I'm supposed to remember this. I don't know, know ex- yet exactly what that means, but... I can once again confirm that's the most important part of the book. Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> and then Harry's still kind of complaining because Quirrell uh, says, well, of course, uh, you know, those will cost you 14 galleons and you only have five. And um, Harry's just like, five galleons? Who's the headmaster think he is dealing with anyway? And uh, then there's the line where Quirrell says... Um, well, I like I like the first half of it too. Um, he says maybe it didn't occur to him. Um, it didn't occur to him to fear the consequences if you turned your ingenuity to the yeah, task of obtaining one. funds. Uh, though you're yeah, so then though you are wise to lose rather than making an explicit threat. Um, and then he says, out of curiosity, Mister Potter, what would you have done if I hadn't turned away in boredom while you, in a fit of childish pique? counted out five galleons worth of canuts. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the, like, and you read it a second time and it's pretty clear what it's get, get it, blah, 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 what that's supposed to mean. But um, that was another spot. There had been a few other times where you can tell that there's something like that's supposed to be, we're supposed to get, by the way, he says that, that Quirrell knew that he had shoplifted his own money out of the bank. Um, but there've been a few times like that where it's sort of like said a little too quickly that, like oh I missed it and then you like only a couple paragraphs later Quirrell says something more that's very clearly like oh okay I knew you had taken the money but there have been a few times like that where that I think maybe like you know he's read his own words that he that he wrote enough times that it's that he thinks the stuff is kind of more evident than it is so and it's just kind of jarring sometimes when you have to like go back and like oh wait what um that you'd like misunderstood something, but because it was like, it was a good line. Like then after like reading it and be like, okay, that was, you know, kind of an, uh, an amusing scene for, cause Quirrell's just sort of like, yeah, I knew the whole time. And what would you have done if I hadn't played along? Um, and I like, cause the, like the vibe in this scene of like Quirrell's like Quirrell's just kind of being like grumpy nihilist and, um, and Harry's kind of digging it and Quirrell's sort of enjoying that he's getting an audience that, that appreciates his nihilism. Um, <laughs> So it's kind of a good scene. And, I, and so he's sort of like letting Harry in on, on the secret. He's like, I, you knew and I knew you knew. Um, yeah, he says basically so yeah. that he was, he was grateful that Professor Quirrell was uh, so easily fooled. And 
Kroll says, I do hope those five galleons last you, uh, since you counted them out so carefully. Mm-hmm. I doubt the headmaster will be so eager to entrust me with your vault key a second time once he discovers I've been tricked. <laughs> yeah, I'm, that was, I'm, I'm sure like, you wait, did your best. Because I read that, and I'm like, wait, what? And then I had to go back and read it. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, luckily I don't have to go back too far. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, and then they have, so then they like sort of keep walking. I guess they sort of decide, okay, we are get, we're going to go get some wands. So they're kind of like walking off, and then as they're walking, uh, I'll steal your quote. And the two of them walked in in their tiny sphere of silence and isolation through the b- brilliant and bustling crowds. And if you looked carefully, you would see that where they went, leafy boughs faded, and flowers withered, and children's toys that played cheerful bells changed to lower and more ominous notes. Um, I thought it was just a good image of the sort of like, you know, walking through a crowd and, so it, and like things are, you know, wilting all around him. Uh, it also worked. I was a good image of like this sort of unspoken power of Quirrell. Like it's another way that we get these things occasionally that make him seem super threatening in the ways that he's just sort of casually like the same. This, I was here also here in Diag- Diagon Alley when he like is just sort of pissed off and frustrated and wants to read the the quibbler or like or the daily prophet and he just sort of like magic magics it up in front of himself um this sort of seems very sort of casually not to try to impress anybody showing like lots of power um make him seem a lot more intimidating because he's not trying to impress anybody he's just kind of doing it <laughs> yeah so. it's his just like nonchalant wordless wandless magic yeah. where he's just like all right i'm you know gonna not yeah. not pretend to be weak right now um, and then Harry's and just like fucking with kids toys just cause he's in a bad mood. Yeah. Everyone had their own way of celebrating the holidays and the Grinch was just as much, as much a part of Christmas as Santa. You know, I, I realized when I read that, I didn't really like the lineup because it was like, I guess cause it's making me realize that in the back of my head, I think the Grinch is kind of lame. So I'm like, Oh, he's cooler than the Grinch. Like that's so like, I don't think there are any really cool evil. I guess when, Krampus. Oh yeah. That, no, that'd be hardcore. But. Yeah. I was gonna say I was gonna say there aren't any evil there aren't any evil Christmas characters for him to compare him to, but I mean I guess Quirrell's being more uh, what do you call it Grinchy than Krampusy right now, but I guess so. He's I mean, like, all, all being a little is, more like dark and emo, and Grinch is sort of like case of the Mondays kind of grumpy, you know. Yeah, the Grinch, the Grinch Small, is the constant grumpy. case of the Mondays. Anyway. That's it. So that was a, that was a pretty smallish chapter. Yeah, that was um, a two minute read. So, um, then it jumps into the giant chapter for this this episode, which is coordination problems part one, which is also chapter thirty three. Um, this is the battle for the Christmas wish, and uh, there's there's clearly like some time jump between the previous episode and this one, as far as like what's happened, because there's a lot of like, well, things have been happening, and this has been going on. Um, and there was, and I, we, there were other battles between that and where we are now, right? Yeah, at least yeah. two, I think. Off-camera battles. Yeah. Um, and so it opens up with uh, Professor McGonagall's point of view, and she's trying to express concern to Dumbledore that looks like shit might hit the fan soon. And the phrase that come, came come to her, excuse me, the phrase that was coming to Minerva's mind was fifth degree of caution. And I didn't get that at first. Until, it wasn't until you explained it. That that was from the, the the second degree of caution for his transfiguration for Dumbledore's transfiguration. Because yeah, I guess it's so um, interesting. He keeps calling him, he he calls Dumbledore Dumbledore, but he calls McGonagall Minerva. Um, but yeah, because uh, McGonagall's kind of freaking out that like that 
all the students are so like on edge and at each other's throats that she's worried that uh, that somebody's gonna freak out and lose their shit and something's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. Uh, well, I mean, it's also in Min- uh, Minerva's head, so maybe she calls herself by her first name and then she calls oh, yeah, Dumbledore so. by his, you know, surname. But um, well, and she calls Malibus to his face. Anyway, in any case, um, then what was that? Oh yeah, so like as far like what's going on? Why why is she worried? Well, apparently like the part the partisanship around the first year armies has spread beyond just the first years and beyond the battlefield, and there's like students wearing armbands with with uh, first year army insignias and. Um, I know it's got so many like that brings up like multiple different images of but like mostly Hitler Youth. Um, a little well, a little bit a little more good natured I think than Hitler Youth, but yeah. Well, but I think that's like, but it is supposed to be like, oh, they're starting to wear armbands and they're like, you know, posturing in front of each other. I think we and and that is sort of like central to what McGonagall is worried that people are gonna like lose their shit about is that they're starting to get like militant with each other. I'm picturing it just like really ardent sports fans where like since you can't wear jerseys in Hogwarts, they're just wearing you know, I guess armbands instead. But uh, uh, I guess I picture it as like being a little more threatening than that. Because it was because it was arm well especially like the arm man's thing maybe it's just because I uh, just finished watching uh, the last season of Man in the High Castle, but uh, there's something very sort of like Nazi about armbands especially as like a you know identifier of who you are. Yeah, there um, aren't a lot of chill armbands that I see. Yeah, yeah. it's not like the you know the uh, the uh, English football club's armband. Just trying to picture other ways they could decorate themselves while still wearing their school uniforms. Like I guess they could have like stickers on their hats or something. Be like the equivalent of like nerds like, shirts or having, something. Having competitive like laptop stickers or something. I guess so. Yeah, I guess I'd never really thought of it that their their robes are like school uniform. I used to think it's like, oh well wizards just wear robes, but like now they're forced to wear robes because they're in their school uniform. That's right. Because they're snooty boarding school kids. <laughs> and I'm sure there's something insidious and sexual about the fact that they're robes um you're just trying you're, you're trying to turn me into that guy again yeah I, I i'm not i'm not trying to do anything <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm just reading what's on the page you're sick <laughs> why would your mind even go there um so you got a thing about robes yeah totally i do actually do have a robe i got a robe for christmas it was uh i got that and uh it's got a patch of the the church of the latter-day dude on it and I got a pair of dude sunglasses because uh, nice. my aunt, who ordained our wedding, um, she became a priest, of, or I guess, yeah, a priest of the Church of the Dude. And then so did I, and so did my oh. father-in-law for fun. So my mother-in-law got all three of us bathrobes with the dude glasses and a patch on it. So Nice. Yeah. I mean, The Big Lebowski isn't like a great movie, but everyone should see it at least once. Um, it's more like, it's it's... It's like the club you get into to know that you're getting all the references. Yeah, and like certainly the first third is really fun. Like I don't know, I've just seen it like two or three times, and like after like the third music montage like sequence thing. Anyway, Big Lebowski is a lot of fun. You should check it out. Um, I'm not selling it great. Anyway, so she's pleading that. Um, well, you pulled out this, this quote. <laughs> well, you brought it up, but because I, I think we were talking about it, or I was talking about it with somebody else about um, somebody saying some point that Yudkowsky had made about something and like oh but he's right for blah 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 and the um my point was like he's not wrong he's just an asshole so there you go when was that was, uh I can't remember it was something actually I don't know if it was Yudkowsky or Harry as Yudkowsky but some some 
point of me bitching about Harry being a dick. And, and so I think somebody brought up on the Discord that he was like, oh, yeah, but he's actually correct in that blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's not about him being correct. It's that he's a dick. So. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, You're not wrong, Harry. You're just an asshole. So you, you can have uh, the long quote that you pulled out from uh, Minerva here. Uh, it was like, Minerva. oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so because, um, because she was, now I forget her, I, I can't remember what her, oh, yeah, so she's worried that um, that this battle stuff is going to so, like, go overboard that it's going to get um, going to get Quirrell in trouble and get him fired. Um, so the quote is, Minerva nodded again, her face tight. She had long since become wise in the ways that defense pre- professors were fired. Albus, Minerva said, we cannot lose Professor Quirrell now. We cannot. If he but stays through January, our fifth years will pass their owls. If he stays through March, our seventh years will pass their newts. He is remedying years of neglect in months. A whole generation will grow up able to defend themselves in spite of the Dark Lord's curse. You must stop the battle, Albus. Ban the armies now. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because, well, A, she doesn't, like, McGonagall's not worried about Quirrell as some sort of, like, malevolent force. Uh, and and that she, I, I just thought it was interesting because I think because we're so primed to just see, like, the defense against the dark arts teacher as, you know, evil or a douchebag. Like, there's, there's, there is no, like, um, sympathetic defense against the dark arts teacher in the real books. Uh, Remus um, Lupin, maybe. Uh, was it? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I, you know what? I Because I never thought, I didn't think of him as being the defense against the dark arts teacher, but he totally is. I guess somehow, we're probably, I, I sort of the exception to prove the rule, like, that at least in my head, I'm so primed to not like the teacher that I didn't think of Lupin as being the teacher. <laughs> um, yet, if you had asked me, I'm not sure what I would have said he, he had done, but yeah, you know, you're totally right. Um, yeah, but her, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that like McGonagall doesn't see him that way. And I, cause I think maybe all, everything we know about Quirrell, cause we see him a lot more close up. Um, we see him as like really threatening and not somebody that anybody would like. But so I just thought it was interesting that, um, McGonagall is totally seeing him as, Oh, he is a valuable person and we need to keep him around. Um, and that, and how sort of immediate she sees the, the threat, um, of just, you know, death eaters in general to kids, um, and how important it is to teach them. So I, I, just, I just thought it was interesting cause it sort of like violated my kind of unconscious expectations of what others attitude towards Quirrell would be. And it totally made sense. I just thought it was interesting. No, oh, yeah, it totally is. I think there's also the fact that like she, I mean, I think she's probably not blind to the fact that he's a whole lot slithering and dark and stuff. Yeah. But even like when Harry was going in to try and tell her, you know, like something about the defense professor. He comes in and she's like, don't finish that sentence. Get the hell out of my office. And he's like, what do you mean? You know, like, oh, no, oh, don't yeah. hear, hear me just fine. I don't want, you know, he's extremely talented. And if uh, if you get him fired, I'm going to, what was it, like string you up by your intestines and pour fire beetles down your nostrils or something? Like it was <laughs> some like super severe threat. Um uh, I mean, she wouldn't carry out on it, but it was just like she she wasn't playing around. Uh, so I think she's just more like she really wants the students to be knowledgeable and trained well. And she's like, look, he's extremely competent. Yeah, sure. Dick, whatever. Fine. But he's really <laughs> good at his job. That's what yeah. we need. So keep him around. And this is the kind of thing that could blow up and get him fired. So um, then she. Yeah, that's what's interesting now. And I think maybe at least in my head, 
things are shifting a little bit in these in these last couple of chapters about Quarrel is that because and I think we're supposed to be like we all know reading this that okay, oh Quarrel is actually Voldemort and I think we are supposed to like be coming at this from that as sort of like our baseline assumption. Um, but it's sort of interesting now to think like there's like he it seems like he really takes he's got all sorts of threatening and whatever you know ulterior motives going on but it does seem like he legitimately is trying to train these kids like that part's sincere what was i saying oh that um yeah that quarrel that he had talked about how i think that his family had been killed by death eaters and that all of that read as being really sincere to me and that okay he really like he's fired up hating death eaters in spite of him being very death eatery at least you know his his very slytherin-y ish way of looking at things at least for me like primes me to like look at him as just being sort of evil but um but that was kind of a change for me is seeing like oh no he's like legitimately fired up about getting these kids able to defend themselves against the dark arts um, there, there are slytherins and then there are slytherins oh is that a lie yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah so i thought that was interesting yeah and then I like where she glances over to the head table where Quirrell was drooling into his soup. Yeah. I um, So this was, again, so I keep seeing the when these happen, I'm like, okay, there's a pattern to when he is and isn't in zombie mode, and I don't yet know what the pattern is. Um, but I think somebody in the Discord one time like misunderstood what I meant because I had thought this, again, the, the scene in Mary's room, um, because they describe him like oh, stumbling as he was going for the door, um, and really he was stumbling so that he could crush Rita Skeeter. Um, but I had thought like, oh, this is, uh, and so I had called it like a Voldemort moment. Um, and I guess like all I mean about like when I'm saying that is that these moments where it seems like he's in the zombie mode moments where it seems like he's being sort of taken over. I don't, it's at least my assumption has been that he's being taken over by, um, you are blowing your mic up, dude. I was saying, oh, just that um, uh, That I, I keep seeing those moments. There's something going on where, at least to me, I'm thinking, okay, that he's struggling with being, having his mind taken over by Voldemort, and that those are these moments where he's being all, like, drooly, is either when he's either able to be his drooling self or is struggling with Voldemort. So that's what I thought that scene, I thought when he was stumbling... Um, getting the door that that was him sort of like being taken over by Voldemort or struggling with that. But and I think somebody, when I said like, oh, it wasn't one of his Voldemort moments, I think they thought I meant like, oh, he wasn't being evil. I'm like, no, he was totally being evil, but um, but he wasn't like in one of these like zombie moments. Yeah, about. there's something going on there, it seems like for sure. Probably something to keep an eye on. Um, it's definitely the, the most important part of the book. Definitely. I mean, to the best that I can observe from where I'm at on this read-through, like, it seems like he can pull himself together basically whatever he needs to do something, right? Like, it talks about, yeah. like, when he, like, even on his first speech, I think at the beginning of his defense class and his first, like, speech to the, to the class as a whole, like, he kind of, like, shuffles over to the podium and then he stands up and then he's, you know, prim yeah. and strong and all that stuff. Um, uh, maybe let's show, maybe let's fits into my Rosencrantz and Guildenstern theory again. Hmm. Maybe maybe these are the moments he switches to NPC. <laughs> so, that's that's definitely see. it. Um, anyway, so Albus's solution is 
why, I shall plot, of course. It is the new fashion <laughs> in Hogwarts. I'm liking Dumbledore. I'm liking where the Dumbledore character is going more. It's like he's not being so much a just kind of a prop or a joke. I mean, he's still kind of funny. He's not a fully formed character, but at least like we're getting kind of more fun out of him, and he's being at least being a little more of his own person. Yeah, I I felt that same way too going through this. Like, especially in the first introduction, meeting him, he just seems like is he gonna just go yeah. crazy with this version of Dumbledore? Are we not gonna get like a fun yeah. like? like the kind of character, the Dumbledore that we know and love. And if we're not getting at least, we're not getting that exact guy at least, um, at least we're getting somebody who's fun in their own way. So Yeah. And um, then a little later, we kind of get to see a little more of just Dumbledore is the most powerful wizard in the world stuff, which is always cool. That's always like a nice thing, even in the original books, because it, cause it's one of those, like you don't get to see it until you sort of get hints of just how much you're not seeing of how powerful he is. You know, I saw a thing, it's a bit of a digression, but it's kind of interesting, because I don't know how much, how deeply we're going to talk about the battle, just because a lot happens, and it's kind of dense, yeah. but it's summarized easily, so I can take time for an aside. Somebody was speculating on Discord at some point about, like, what separates a super powerful wizard from a not super powerful wizard. It might have been Matt Freeman. Um, like, the, is it just, like, time and study? Can anyone become Dumbledore with enough time and effort? Are you just born with like a different level of magic? Um, it it doesn't seem like a genetic lottery, at least certainly from what Harry found. Like everyone has magic or they don't. So like is Dumbledore, maybe he's got more uh, interdicted knowledge. Um, I guess I saw this, or I, I see it as kind of like a Michael Jordan thing. Like he's, you know, he's, he's that. And it's like, so because I get... I see it as like, oh, he's the most powerful, but that it wasn't like a, like a measurable, you know, a specifically measurable, like, okay, he's 10% more powerful than the next most powerful guy that it was just like, people are the most impressed with him. And he's the one that you would not want to mess with, but so that it's some kind of like, like with like some kind of sports, somebody it's a combination of innate skill and a lot of work and yada, yada, yada. Hmm. Yeah. I don't have much I don't know, to offer. Do it like, something to think about. Were you thinking of it as as being sort of like explicitly like like wizard power was something like IQ, like you could assign a number to it? I'm I'm not really sure what I've thought about it. I didn't really occur to me to think of the question again until you framed about how strong Dumbledore is supposed to be. Like, I guess it could be like an IQ thing where some people just have more than others. MQ. Um, there could be <laughs> some. Like I said, I think I imagine that certainly in the. Uh, methods of rationality verse that there's probably some you know amount of like if he discovers his own spells or something or gets interdicted knowledge somehow then he knows like more spells than somebody else because it's yeah. it doesn't seem like there's just a way of like um you know like in other magic books that have like a hard magic system well wheel of time is kind of squishy but um there's like objective magic strength like you can just like hey hold as much magic as you can and I can see how much you're holding mm-hmm. or like in Aragon, which does have more hard magic. It's like, all right, lift the heaviest thing you can with magic and that'll show me how strong you are. There doesn't seem to be a kind of thing like that in this. So yeah. anyway, then it switches to a Draco point of view and all the, all the point of view shifts uh, open with a very similar line. Yeah. Well, I think it was, is this, is the Draco one the first use? Cause I thought McGonagall had actually was the first line. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The terrifying part was how fast the whole thing had spiraled out of control. I did a. He's got. There's. This is another way he does these like clever little turns of phrase 
things. Like the first time you read it, it doesn't stick out as much. But so I think he does this from, yeah, so he does McGonagall and then Draco and then Hermione and they each start using that same line until we get to Harry later. But, but, but yeah, it was like nice after the second time reading it, knowing that like, oh, he's repeating this fra- this line in each one. It's like a good way of framing that scene as he cuts to a different point of view. Um, and like letting you sh- showing you that like a I'm showing you sort of parallel scene from a different point of view, uh, and then changing it later with Harry. So yeah, I did that totally. And it 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 starts with Draco thinking to himself about how the first battle in December had been messy, or so he had heard. And we learn later in the chapter that apparently there was a rule put in after one of the battles where traitors weren't allowed to execute generals because it just ruins the like fun of the battle i guess <laughs> so i'm assuming that's the one where he just gets executed in the first minute um so then the second battle had been deranged and the next one would be worse unless the three of them together succeeded in their last desperate attempt to stop it and they've the three generals are in professor quirrell's office trying to discuss the traitor situation and draco and hermione are in agreement that quirrell should do something about it and they're like making their own case for it and it's we get the impression from them that harry had said yeah i'll talk with quirrell about the traitors with you guys for sure and uh so they get in there and um they're they you know whatever draco and hermione agree and then harry's like uh no actually uh all we need to do is shoot franz ferdinand and we could start world war one <laughs> it's gone completely to chaos i'm all for it and then Harry, that was when I, when I read that i was was in the back of my head is like did anybody else that he said that i guess hermione would have gotten the reference but uh, like i was just imagining like Draco, just because he's ignorant, and Quirrell, just because he couldn't be bothered to be like, oh, France, something, whatever. Yeah, it's, I guess it's, I mean, I got the impression that Quirrell would be more, like, world knowledgeable than Draco, yeah. just because, I mean, world wars are probably affect, I mean, there's the, whatever, sub subplot idea in the canon version that Grindelwald is involved in World War II somehow, just because the mm. timeline's lined up well, but, yeah. um, in any case, yeah, so he's, Harry's, turns he's like yeah that's right i'm betraying both of you again ha 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 and his he's just kind of decided just to make this a whole fuck with them the game and uh professor Kroll says and why is that mr potter and he says well because i think i can cope with the chaos better than miss granger or mr malfoy uh said the traitor because it's from Draco's point of view <laughs> oh that's i didn't get that line either when i got it said the traitor okay Oh yeah. I guess I, w- I wasn't as uh, after the fact. I kind of got it more, but it wasn't as clear as I was reading it how explicitly we were in the point of view of a different character. So I'm like, traitor? Who was there? A traitor there? Yeah, that's what he meant. Yeah, and then uh, and then Quirrell has that line um, that you pulled out about when they had asked him to shut it down. Yeah, because and I just sort of like. I liked the way that Quirrell is sort of enjoying the, the chaos that they're in. Um, and so he's just sort of like playfully going going along with it. Um, so what he says was, In truth, Mr. Malfoy, Miss Granger, I simply could not live with myself if I shut down the grand debacle before its climax. One of your soldiers has even become a quadruple agent. Um, so I just like that was fun. What I, the thought that came to me um, as I was reading that, though, was that so he was it like it fit with his just sort of like fuck you I'm Coral, um, but that it the in the sense of him being very Slytherin-y, um, what I was wondering was because that wasn't just a like oh it's okay to be ambitious or even manipulative or selfish if it's got 
you know, if there is practical value to it, like that was him explicitly going like, oh, I'm just enjoying the, the anarchy and the chaos of this thing. And I'm going to help that continue, which, so my first thought was like, okay, yeah, that is very Slytherin-y. Um, but then I'm like, well, is it though? Um, because, so then I was trying to think of the distinction between, you know, Slytherins are okay with doing not nice things for practical goals. Um, but does that, and so we, and we sort of shorthand that into being the bad guys. Um, but I thought like, okay, it doesn't necessarily follow that they're just going to like chaos for the sake of chaos. Um, and Coral is like sort of enjoying the spectacle of the thing, but did, was it really something that fit with, um, with him being a Slytherin? And then the thought I had, which was even more of a digression, but I thought was interesting, at least in that we are talking about rationality. And you'll be able to tell me if, if I've hit on an idea with a name, um, was that because like the, the thought that I was, um, that I started having, the, or the words I assigned to that train of thought I was having about, um, is he just willing to be not nice or is he actually in favor of chaos was, I'm like, oh, is he like chaotic evil or chaotic neutral was the words that started to come to me. But my initial thought was more of everything that I just said before I arrived at that word. And what it made me realize is that starting to assign words like that, like chaotic neutral, chaotic evil, um, are, and I think I've said something similar to this before, they're like preformed thoughts. Um, and so they sort of have preformed conclusions to go with them. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what I was thinking in terms of like where that would steer these thoughts, but I realized as I was thinking it, like we already kind of, like we, people that played Dungeons and Dragons, um, kind of like there's a lot of, like you, you draw the graph of chaotic good, neutral, evil, and lawful good, and chaotic and true neutral, and um, like we've kind of already sliced and diced that set of thoughts up and what it means about what the people that we assign into those, each of those holes means. Um, and so it wasn't even so much about like what is the distinction between chaotic evil, chaotic neutral, or whatever. It was, my thought was that if I had started like walking down that road of thinking of it in that way, that it was going to turn that thought into some other thing that wasn't quite exactly with the thought I was originally having. Um, and so that's, and that's something I'd, I can't remember what we were talking about it in reference to before. Oh, I think it was, um, when I was talking about sort of the names, like there's certain set names that people give to like cognitive biases or to, um, uh, debating techniques like straw man is a word we that's like to right use a lot. we're talking about the logical fallacies yeah logical yeah logical fallacies that there's these things that um and so i've like i talked about as there's sort of like tinker toy thoughts um that they're sort of like easily assembled together um but that when we like drop into them they they're like a shorthand that's so easy to use and that can be really useful if you're just trying to very quickly communicate a thought but they're so easy to use that they end up like you end up slotting your ideas into these these preformed um ideas which then which have like preformed conclusions that go with them um which aren't necessarily like where you were going where you wanted to go in the first place because i had this sort of like non-verbalized idea of oh is um you know is quarrel in favor of chaos for the sake of chaos um and I, so i was able to kind of put those words to it eventually but but those that idea kind of had its own direction and and shape to it before I put words to it and then if I had picked these dungeon and dragony words then suddenly I would have been thinking about it in that way um and so I mean that's just kind of a small sample but that's something I think a lot about um especially when I'm making fun of you fuckers um 
<laughs> Which but, fuckers? Uh, you, you rationality fuckers. Um, well, I, I can give you an answer. So in, in the rationality community, we call those cached thoughts. Cached like, thoughts. You, you know, like when you cache something in memory and then for easy retrieval later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually a really short Less Wrong post that you can find just by searching Less Wrong cached thoughts. Oh, that sounds thoughts. familiar. I think I may have, may have read that. I might have sent it to you. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so, and, and that's that's cool. You noticed that you were, like, falling into the, into the temptation of retrieving a cached thought and, like, no, wait, I want to have an original one. And instead, try to generate it, you know, independently. Um, as far my, as, my, the reason that has kept coming up for me, though, is that like the cash thoughts. Is, it, 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 does it even say this in the in that article? I think it does. That cash thoughts is itself a cash thought. It is. Um, yeah. That straw man, steel man, confirmation bias. Like those are themselves like already had arguments with already arrived at conclusions. Um, and so, and I think that's just kind of limits. And that's what like a big thing for me is like, I don't, I will sort of chew those ideas up and understand them. And like a lot of, you know, I they're, they're solid thoughts. There's a lot to agree with about them, but then like, I sort of purposely forget them um, and definitely forget the way that they were formulated on the theory that if it is useful, I'm going to remember the useful part. Um, and to the extent that it doesn't fit how I'm seeing things, um, that will be the part I forget. Not not the like, oh, it doesn't fit my previous assumptions about whatever, but um, the parts of it that are usable uh, will stick around regardless of me remembering any particular thing about, about you know, the idea. Um, yeah, I mean, it like labels are nice in that, especially if you're having like a good faith discussion with somebody, you could say, hey, do you realize you just made a slippery slope argument? And they could be like, oh, wait, yeah, you're right. Let me th- see if I can formulate a better version of what I'm trying to say. Um, so like having a shorthand rather than having to like re-explain the idea to them every time, you know? Yeah. So like that's that's why words exist, right? Or why, why you know, <laughs> like we have, we have labels for things words like good. Con- concepts of ideas and different objects yeah. just so it can limit communication time. But um, yeah, like... Ha, uh, having an awareness of these things is important and is not something yeah. that's that's lost on us. When it's when it's when the words and it's even not so much. I mean, it it is words, but it's also just like those pre-canned thoughts. Um, when they, when it's sort of when the tail starts wagging the dog, that um, when the conclusions you arrive at, uh, because if you have a thought that's similar. So for this example was I, the thought I was having about quarrel was similar to the idea of chaotic evil versus chaotic good, chaotic neutral. Um, but that wasn't the thought I was having. And I could have very easily like fall. It's sort of like how like there's a snap to on a grid. Like it was close enough to the idea I was having that I might've, the idea I had itself might've changed because if I had like landed on a sort of previously formulated way of looking at it, um, and that's why I said, and that's what's like sort of for me, like I try to like, I intentionally sort of avoid um, the, like jargon specifically, like I try to avoid those things because it feels like they sort of, well, A, and it's just sort of like, oh, I feel like I'm just regurgitating somebody else's idea. Like if I can't put it in my own words. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, there's, I think really there's, I agree. Idea. I think there's a value to that. Um, so. Yeah, I, I guess, uh as far as this particular plot, like whether or not, um, like, is Quirrell, so he says next, like, we're exploring new realms, Miss Granger, and we cannot turn back now. That was a great uh, line. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just part of that one, and what I said, like, after that was, like, it's just a really good, regardless of all of those thoughts, it's just a really funny line, and, and funny to watch, like, Quirrell sort of 
uh, enjoying the anarchy of the thing. Totally. And like, so Coral kind of comes out in the next chapter and explains what his purpose was here. So he may have been having a lot of fun with it, but he had a goal with it too, which is very Slytherin. Um, And I am under the impression that Harry has a goal here as well. Um, I'm not sure if he comes right out and says it in the next chapter or not, but it's at least hinted at. Uh, And if it's, you know, we'll... About just sort of increasing chaos. Uh. I think I think just like Quirrell, he's having fun with the chaos, but I yeah. think that he's having. Uh, I think he has a goal for that as well. Yeah. Um, like his his terminal goal isn't more chaos equals more fun. It's I think there's something at the end of that. I think there's an end game. At well, the his end idea of his is reasoning. like that chaos. Like he's gearing himself to adapt to chaos better than them, and so the more he can increase chaos, the more favorable it is to him. Like not not like that. Not like he's going to have not have any problems from the chaos, but that he's explicitly explicitly setting himself up to deal with it, uh, and they're not. And so then it's to his advantage to have more of it. Yeah, you're I not thinking. Yeah. You're not thinking big enough, but uh, we'll see. We'll uh, see. Uh, um, <laughs> and then, uh, then it switches to. Um, a Hermione point of view, which also opens up with the terrifying part was how quickly the whole thing had spiraled out of control. Um, She's Mm -hmm. convening with Zabini about like, all right, who isn't a spy and who is, and it's this long back and forth, but basically everyone's a spy and um, they've got like a plan they've put together that is not obvious. And it had been strange and complicated and layered and the sort of thing she would have expected Harry to come up with, not Zabini. It felt wrong for her just to be able to understand a plan like that. Young girls shouldn't be able to understand plans like that. The hat would have sorted her, would have sorted her into Slytherin if it had seen that she could understand plans like that. Um, so I think it's just, you know, a convoluted Slytherin-y plot that they're hoping will win them the battle. So uh, then it goes over to Harry and it opens with the awesome thing was how fast he'd been able to escalate the chaos once he had started doing it deliberately. That was a good line. I like that. Because at first, because he had used the, the previous line um, three times in a row, and I, the, I, I liked how that played out. And then this happened that he changed it. I'm like, oh, this is well done. Yeah. Wow. And it's Harry's clearly having just the time of his life with this. He ordered some furniture from the house elves. So we got a throne and curtains, you know, black crimson pattern. Um, and so he's something about Harry felt like he'd finally come home. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it's also made me think that, um, and I feel like why I'm enjoying this more, there's something because the silliness of that whole thing made me think again about that. Something is starting to shift where I am more willing to just enjoy the funniness of the thing rather than going like, Oh, that's stupid. He wouldn't ever buy a throne of blah, blah, blah. Um, that, I mean, because there's those levels of stupid things in every story. Um, and so I think it's like things have gotten more sort of, uh, emotionally appealing sounds too like strong a word, but just like sort of invested in the people now and just sort of sympathetic with, with the stuff that people are going through. And so enjoying the characters that are going by, then kind of more willing to just sort of go along for the ride with these silly things that like, okay, it is really, really stupid that they've got a that he's got a throne set up and that they're reciting Monty Python at each other. Um, <laughs> like if you weren't along for the ride, you'd be just kind of rolling your eyes and be like, Oh, this is stupid. That would never happen. Blah, blah, blah. But um, like once you're kind of more 
on board with it, then this stuff is more fun. So. Well, and like I think you you said too, it's it's partly that now you're more into the story and things yeah. are deliberately a little more whimsical. But yeah. dare I say it, I think That's Harry is getting. I think Harry is is growing on you a little bit. So like na- now that you have like a, a a model of like the kind of person he is, you're like oh, okay, yeah, ordering a big golden throne is exactly the kind of thing he would do. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of it, but yeah. So then, well, so in that part, I'm not going to abandon my theory. Like that part's not explicitly dickish. It's just sort of silly and enjoyable. But I I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, Harry's basically doing like a Palpatine impersonation, like while he's reporting with his troops, and uh, that's where we stole our little intro thing from. Was mm-hmm. that was their formalities, and you had said apparently after one year of Japanese, you can say, "Is that what this means?" The yeah, is- yeah, that that uh, hobero kurafuto. Watashi no, I changed a little bit. Watashi no hobero kurafuto wa unagi ni ipai da. Yeah, that sounded like. That sounded Japanese to me. That was awesome. That was, yeah, that's my hovercraft. The the Japanese word for hovercraft is hobero kurafuto. Sometimes you can tell yeah. when they're deliberate, they like shove this like, into the language. She's a bugger. She's a bugger. <laughs> yeah. Japanese is a very, very hard language. I took an entire year of it, and that's I like I know that, and my pencil is big and yellow. I bought a like Japanese language course when I was in high school because I was a weeb and wanted to try and learn it and then realized mm-hmm. it was like fucking impossible to teach myself because I have no internal motivation to do anything. Mm-hmm. So I did learn that at the very least, when it's written in English, the mm-hmm. phonetic rules are always the same. Yeah. There, it, there's none of this bullshit where R-E-A-D can be read or read or, you know. Yeah. That's actually true for most languages. English is obnoxious in that way. Yeah, it's almost lucky that, yeah. I mean, well, it is lucky that it's our first language then, because it would be stupid hard to pick up. Yeah, um, yeah Japanese. Well, and then the lame thing with Japanese is that the first version of Japanese they teach you is the one nobody uses. Oh, that's like great. Because there's like formal and informal, and it's a whole different sort of, yeah, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, forget all that. Japanese I don't know, one of these hard. days I'll, I'll learn more languages, but it there seems to be so much to like, unless you're in a classroom doing it, or you're like, in a country learning it yeah. it is in my experience just super hard to like buckle down and like all right let's learn a, another language i i don't know yeah. way too much work. No, you gotta, it, it helps more when uh you need to be able to speak it in order to know where the bathroom is so yeah exactly i mean That's so right. when i went to japan I, I memorized a couple of phrases like i think one of them was like i don't remember it now but i knew it a year or two ago like where's the hospital or where's the nearest hospital mm. um dokoni like, i remember that let's <laughs> start with dokoni at the very where? least, I, I had Google Translate and I had the uh, I downloaded like the Japanese translations for everything, so I didn't necessarily need a Wi-Fi connection, um, and I could just type into my phone or say into my phone, "Excuse me, can you tell me where I can do this?" And then I could just say to someone, "Sumimasen," and show them my phone, mm-hmm. and it would show them in Japanese characters what I was trying to say. So everyone was super responsive to that. Anyway, yes. Harry gets a status Over report there. that they're, that the mayhem they've been causing is uh, going successfully and that things are chaotic as all hell. Um, I think that they said like there's like 60 plots or something and let Draco try and keep track of that. Let him try. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and then, and then came a knock at the door. That will be the Dragon General, said Harry, smiling with <laughs> evil prescience. He arrives precisely as I expected. Do show him in and yourselves out. <laughs> and, the, and then I like this line too. If he wasn't allowed to do this when he was older, Harry was just, just going to stay eleven forever. 
At some point, I, I decided know. that too. I, I didn't. I didn't stop at eleven, but I decided that, like, you know, I especially maybe it's a generational thing or something. But there's there's this mindset with uh, with some people even now. But like, hey, that's that's your lot in life. You know, you take a shit job and you go to work every day for fifty years and you hate your life and then you die. And I'm like, no, fuck all that. Like, if if that's what means if that's what growing up means, I'm gonna just stay a kid and like keep having fun. Like, I'm gonna do whatever I want my entire life. That's that's sort of my uh, my whole outlook. Now, whatever I want is curtailed by, like, all the niceties of, of morality and the law and stuff like that. But I'm not going to resign myself to some shit existence. Screw that. Sometimes whatever I want is to continue to be able to pay the rent. I want to do that, too. So, but I, I, I won't, I, you know, I won't ruin my life over yeah. it. I will, I'll work a job I don't love, but I won't, like, resign myself to that for 20 years. You know what I mean? I hear you. That's I mean, just like your opinion, I, man. That's just like your opinion, man. All right. So, see, if you'd watched The Big Lebowski, you'd get the reference. Um, I think we could be reasonably confident that 90% of the listeners have watched The Big Lebowski. That's true. I think it's required watching and, it. And they all knew where my hovercraft is full of eels came from. I actually didn't. Really? Yeah. And you're admitting that I'm in a recorded to. conversation. All right, shame me in public. Where's that from? Wow. Where's that from? You really don't? Well, it's from the same scene with the I Will Not Buy This Record. It's the uh, it's from that scene in the is that the pet store? No, that's the, the tobacconist with Monty Python. It's the dude reading out of a he's reading out of a translation book, uh, but he's reading incorrectly. So he's he's like trying to I think he's trying to order tobacco in a tobacco shop and he keeps reading these uh, increasingly bizarre phrases that he thinks are saying one thing in there. Things like my my nipples explode with delight. <laughs> I think the only Monty Python thing I've seen all the way through, and I've seen it like four times, is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Holy Grail is a good one. Me I mean, it, it's classic. I think that life one's required of Brian. watching. All right, I'll have to watch The Life of Brian. The Life I of mean, Me. Makes sense you would have seen that, yeah. yeah. It's actually not one of the better ones. but. So, so where where is this, this scene from? The Hovercraft's Full of Eels? Yeah. It's the, those are all together. That's uh, that's the tobacconist. Where it's, so it's uh, John Cleese reading from a, from a faulty dictionary of English. So it's, it's he's trying. He's trying. Yeah, he keeps saying, he says, my hovercraft is full of eels. Uh, if I told you you had a great body, would you hold it against me? No, I'm, um, yeah, <laughs> following you there. Is, it, is that from, you said, the, the tobacconist? It's, yeah, it's a, it's, so it's from, uh, uh, it's from the Flying Circus, the television show. So it's just one sketch from okay. their television show. I will YouTube it and when we get recording. It's him and uh, Terry Jones, who just passed away. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, that sucks. I believe, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, we are in Draco's head now, and um, like it did a good job of switching. So because we end, uh, were we in? Yeah, we were in Harry's uh, point of view um, with him saying like, "Oh, that'll be Draco, just as I expected." And then we switch to Draco's point of view, and we like carry on uh, directly with that thought. Uh, and I'll steal your quote again. Good evening, Dragon General," said Harry Potter in a chill whisper. "You have arrived just as I expected." This was not surprising, considering that Draco and Harry had agreed on the meeting time in advance. <laughs> uh, but it was like, so A, like, that's funny, but it was a good, like, he, he bookended the change in uh, perspective around that silly idea, so. And then it was like, it, just because it, like, made Harry seem all the more, like, silly. And it's, yeah. it's yeah. doubly silly because he knows that Draco knows that, yeah. they, that uh-huh. they agreed on this time. Like, he is just fucking around, and uh-huh. he's not breaking character for Draco. Uh-huh. Um, until they start talking about like that they're in a prisoner's dilemma and then it goes on to explain at length what that is um, I think that's like the one that like most people know it's yeah it, hopefully anyway it's fun yeah. um, it applies a lot 
and it certainly this what's the fun about this is that you know the author contrived to make a perfect or a, a true prisoner's dilemma in the story so that they could actually mm-hmm. have one which i think is a lot of fun um while they're discussing it draco's throwing out like ideas about how well you know if this was the death eaters you know the dark lord would just torture and kill defectors he's like exactly that is one solution um mm-hmm. having having a government or a voldemort to enforce rules or punish defectors is one way to do things um some people care about like their pride and their uh their status as a not liar or not defector, so they will go to jail. They'll they'll choose to cooperate in a prisoner's dilemma because they're honorable. Um, and then he said, "There's much princess bride." To which I reply, "Inconceivable." <laughs> yeah, because I keep going back and forth. But then you would know that that's what I was doing, and so yeah, it was that thing. So clearly, I cannot choose the glass in front of me. <laughs> what I like is that there is uh, like. There's enough recursion in here that it does get kind of twisty, but not too much that you can't follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, at there is a there's a line where you almost can't follow it. So like, or well, at least where Draco strains to understand half of it. So he says, mm-hmm. "All right, Draco, I have to ask you this: Are we similar enough that we'll probably do the same thing, whatever it is, making our decisions in mostly the same way, or do or do we know each other well enough to predict each other?" So that I can predict whether you'll cooperate or defect, and you can predict that I've decided to do the same thing that I predict you'll do, because I know what you can predict me uh, predict me deciding that. And Draco could not help but think that since he had strained to understand half of that, that the obvious answer was no. Yes, yeah. said Draco. <laughs> the obvious answer is Iocane, which actually which is actually sort of a real answer, and that like you can't predict those things, so find some way to get out of that game. Yeah, and I mean, there, there's a, a an aside during Harry's discussion of the prisoner's dilemma that, like, in a in a community of rationalists, they would cooperate because it's actually the best for everyone involved. Um, like, in a specific situation, defecting is good for you, but it's bad for everything else. And there's the externalities of like the impact on the community and the reputation and all this sort of thing is understood. So I think what he's trying to ask is like Draco, are you enough in this to where you understand it? And it seems like he almost was, but he didn't yeah. like he didn't want to agree because he wasn't hundred percent following. So he just he flips his answer, and then Dra- Harry is like, oh well, I guess we'll have to think think of something else then. Um, yeah, I the thought I had because <clears throat> in the example he gives is like if, you, if it, I think they pick somebody they don't like to use as the example, is it Pansy Park? I always get Pansy Parkinson and Parvati Patil mixed up in my head but one of those the one they don't like pansy yeah pansy um they use her as an example of like okay if you created a an exact duplicate of her and she's a totally selfish person that doesn't care about anybody but herself and doesn't care about her reputation so um so what would she do knowing that the other one's going to do exactly the same thing the thought i had behind that though is like Besides, like, okay, that you'd never actually have that situation. Um, but even if you did, that it isn't that, like, oh, you know the other person is going to do this, do this exactly the same. You, you don't. Not just the, the uncertainty of it, but I don't think that you would necessarily do exactly the same thing every time. It's more like you are more likely to do something, but there's an element of random, I think, to everybody um, where you're not fully predictable. I mean, even, like... Even if you know every last, last little thing to measure, at some point it's just some kind of like, you know, it's a coin toss eventually. Uh, I, I gently disagree. I mean, so they use the idea of, of a duplicate 
person because there might be such thing as magical copies of people mm-hmm. or something, right? So it's not outlandish for this hypothetical, but like I, I, I would be willing to bet in a prisoner's dilemma that involved money that uh, like my brother and I would cooperate because we care about each other and we would want the best for each other and we would want, even if it meant less for ourselves, we would want to maximize the, the positive outcome between the two of us rather than just like one of us winning. Um, so I bet if my brother and I were prisoners dilemmaing for money, we would well, that's cooperate. A, but that's the thing, like you bet, like so probably, and you can be like, okay, even a, like, a, you know, you're pretty damn sure is like 90% sure, um, which I mean, yeah, so it's not that like, oh, people wouldn't, but it's not that, but you can't, I think the logic he's trying to use is, okay, if you know that the other person is definitely going to do the same thing you do, which you don't know. Um, mm. you can be pretty damn sure, but you don't know. But and then the, like trying to, and the getting into the princess bride version of it sort of relies on you being certain that the other person is, is going to do it. And you, you're not certain you're just pretty damn sure. Well, I mean, just certain enough to act like just the, yeah, yeah. the, the level of certainty that we walk around with in our day to day lives. Like, yeah. I mean, if there's was was some a, level, at least like the, the logic he was trying to apply to it, like stopped working if because it was, it was a that you know that is a probability thing, not a certainty thing, and that in real situations it's many many probability things stacked on top of each other, and then it very much stops being something that you can you know put do- like direct cause effect relationships onto. Okay, if I did this and then he does that, it's more like there's lots of these things, and I'm probably going to do this, and he's probably going to do that, uh, and then at least like seem like this sort of. Uh, the game theory part of it seems like it applies less the more real world the situation gets. Not that like not that this game theory stuff doesn't like have a lot of practical applications, but just like the way he was describing, um, like trying to predict what to do in specific situations seemed like that part of it fell apart. I mean, I yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, like applying, uh, like any. Um, sort of theory like this to a real world situation is going to be contrived or you're like, yeah. you're, you're going to, have, you're going to have to have a very contrived situation to make it realistic. Yeah. Um, but in broad strokes, you can, you can, yeah, no, uh, it's like, as far as work. the theory, I think it was, yeah. it was weird for me when was trying to use it as like a way to like make a specific decision in a specific situation. At least for me, like the idea of the prisoner's dilemma, like that's not sort of, it's a very valuable thing. It's just like, it sort of like generalizes to so many, like, traffic jams are a prisoner's dilemma. Um, like we'd all do better if we all just like drove slowly and quit changing lanes and try to beat the other guy. Yes. Um, and, and traffic is a great idea of everyone defecting in the prisoner's dilemma and yeah, the people yeah. who are cooperating don't get any benefit out of it. Yeah. And um, there's so many things that are, that are like exactly that same thing. So it's just sort of, it's like an interesting, um, idea, but yeah, it, it, when he was starting to talk about it, as like a way to, not, not as a way, but that it was almost like talking it through as if, um, like in any one situation, you could use it to decide what the best thing to do is. And like that seemed to like be relying on a level of certainty about other people's actions that doesn't exist. Uh, I mean, or maybe, maybe that wasn't what he was saying, but when he kept like, when he was doing the Princess Bride thing with Draco, I'm like, you don't know that. You don't know that the other person's going to do what you think they're going to do. Well, for lots of reasons beyond just that, like, oh, you have an imperfect idea of how it is that they act and what their motivations are yeah and that's that's why i put it to him as a question and like at the end of the day it's a trust thing right like if if we if you and i met outside a room and then discussed the prisoner's dilemma we're going to go in and do and 
if you defect, you get 20 bucks. If we both cooperate, we each get 10. And I, if you defect, I only get five. And then that switched. Um, like we could both go into the room saying, okay, we understand. So let's just leave with 10 bucks. Right. Right. And then you could go in there and fuck me and get the, t- and get the 20. Um, or you might not. So yeah. like, that's basically what he's asking Draco. Um, did you see that there was a game show? I think it was from a long time ago. And I want to say it was like British. Um, yes. Yeah, where the guy, the, and the, the way the guy wins it is that he convinces the other guy. He says, I'm going to fuck you, so you better protect yourself. No matter what you do, I'm going to fuck you. And he convinces the guy that he that he will, and then that gets, or they both, I can't remember exactly. I, but anyway, I can, he like I reverse psychology is the guy. Yeah, I can pull up that quote, or I can pull up that clip. I know where to find it. So then there's a scene changed to a very tiny scene where it's Hermione walking back to Ravenclaw, and she bumps into somebody, and eek, it's the headmaster. And uh, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he's like, oh, don't worry, Miss Granger, said the headmaster of Hogwarts. <laughs> you are quite forgiven. And he's like, actually, uh, it's quite lucky that we bumped into each other. I was just w- wondering curiously what the three of you were thinking of for your wishes. And that's the end of that little scene. Yeah. I didn't get, like, when I, w- when I went back and read that a second time, it seemed like there was supposed to be significant significance to that scene, especially because it was a short little scene that I didn't, I still don't get, like, was there some plot point that was important to Dumbledore having talked to her about what their wish would be? Or maybe nothing that comes that up I, later? Nothing that I picked up at this point, but what we can guess is that since he had deliberately said that I'm going to go do some plotting, that this is probably some plot of his. Yeah. Um, what's going on? We don't know. Yeah. I guess yeah. I thought, I felt like, oh, we should have, like, the payoff for that interchange should have happened already, but I couldn't. So I was wondering, like, oh, did I just miss it, or has it not happened yet? Sounds like it hasn't happened yet. Well, the uh, co- the coordination problems uh, section is actually three chapters. Oh, so that's true. There you go. Maybe it comes up there. Maybe it comes up in chapter 105. We don't know. Maybe it's the most important part of the book. Of course. I should have said. You've just guessed it. Um, hold on to that one. Keep that in your back pocket. Mm-hmm. So, and then, um, yeah, so then it's the dawn of the, the Christmas wish battle and... Uh, Draco's, it's from Draco's point of view, he's hoping that they were going to do, like, upper levels of Hogwarts again, because the Dragon Army had done well in those fights. Um, instead, just as Draco feared, Professor Quirrell had come up with something special for the battle. The battle Oh, wait, was... can I, uh, I just, my, the departing thought about the Prisoner's Dilemma that I had, the, the Kumbaya version of the Prisoner's Dilemma is not about being an honest collaborator, or even about, um, uh, about, you know, getting the known reciprocity, but it's the uh, and I think the example they give us is it's, uh, brothers that are go- that are in there, uh, and that when your motivation when your motivation is not to win, is just to minimize the harm to the other player, then you win no matter what, even if they defect. If you're if you didn't care how long you were going in, but you just wanted your brother to make sure that he got out in time to see mom. That's um, interesting. Yeah. And you win, then both then both parties win, um, even if the other one defects. He's, if you you're still scoring it a win. Yeah, there, that's that's another spin on it. There's in the traditional pitch for the prisoner's dilemma. There's not a way you get to confess and just say I yeah. forfeit my chance to take this equally. I did it. Um, that yeah. would be the the very kumbaya version, right? Where yeah. you lie and say it was me just to get your brother off early. Yeah. Um, I suppose I don't see any reason why you couldn't do that, but it would have to be another rule to the game that you set up in advance. Well, but so. you, or even if you like, if, even if that's not an option, if you just decide, okay, I'm not going to. Um, rat out my brother, even if knowing that if he does rat me out, that that's going to screw me. 
um, I'm not going to cooperate with them, or I'm not, I'm not going to defect from my, my brother. Um, if your motivation is to minimize the harm to your brother, that's the right choice to make, regardless of what you think your brother will do. Right. So. Yeah, there can be other things to go. care about. Yeah. Um, than just minimizing the harm to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So, this fight's underwater, and of course it's got to be fucking crazy. There's also the caveat that um, this battle has a scoring system, um, which the, uh, um, I think it was at the beginning of the first battle, where when Harry's reflecting that Quirrell said that there was no official scoring system because otherwise Harry would find a way to munchkin the rules, mm-hmm. um, which is exactly what ends up happening here. Yeah. Uh, and you had said that this uh, was to avoid the Dumbledore ex machina shit. Yes, I was proud of myself for having come up with that phrase. I like that. And Almost, I, did... I bet I could Google Dumbledore X Machina and a hundred other people have already thought up the phrase, but I liked it. There's a handful of like these little funny comics. I'll have to find the, the author, but I'll post a picture of it in the... Uh, um, I'll find a link to something. I'll, po- I'll post something to one of these comics. Oh, the attribution's actually on there. It's just too small for me to read. Anyway, it's just like crazy Dumbledore shit just like throwing points at Gryffindor mm-hmm. over and over mm-hmm. um, just cause I think it was one of the things like even in the originals one of the things it's on par with like the rules of Quidditch where you, the ridiculousness of, of the way they hand out points at the end of the book at the end of all the books just like makes you realize like okay A that was stupid and like violates all of your expectations about the importance of points and also makes you think like and why does anybody give a shit about points like you win the house cup at the end and so what yeah, that's fair. Um, there you go. So, the, yeah, anyway, this one opens up with uh, the all the armies underwater. Draco's talking to his troops. Um, they've all got whatever, I think it was like Potion of Underwater Action, which is mm-hmm. just like the coolest video gamey thing ever. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, like picturing the really bad um, Aquaman movie. I have seen parts of it. I didn't actually sit down and watch the whole thing. It's not good. I that's that's what I hear. Um, sidebar: the w- trailer for Wonder Woman two looks like a lot of fun, but I have low hopes for that movie. So, that also that aside from that, I will say that the Harley Quinn movie was awesome, and people should watch it. The uh, se- the Birds of Prey. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was fucking terrible. Oh, you saw it? I get some hate for it. Yeah, I think I saw it like a week ago. Oh, I mean, not, I'll, I'll, I'll give you good. that. The trailer looked like looks terrible. Um, trailer looked better than the movie. It was. Bad. Did you not like the character Harley Quinn? Or oh, I, I like the character Harley Quinn. I just like that, that movie was probably the stunts were bad. The writing was bad. It was just not good. Not a fan. That will get you some hate. I, I will. So. Uh, I look forward to having this conversation with you on Friday. <laughs> um, After somebody firebombs my car. <laughs> no, it's not gonna be that or, bad. We're gonna to get together at Inyasha's and play Risk, uh, and he was uh, a big fan uh, of this movie. It's it's not a it's not a hating on Harley. I think that 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 movie did a disservice to Harley. It was okay. it, it needed to be better than that. Yeah, it was he, the, the stunts were bad. Right? It was just not well done. You have to walk it back because you're pretty sure Inyasha can beat you up, but I can't. That makes sense. Uh, Inyasha could definitely beat me up. <laughs> um, I mean, I could, but only because I fight dirty. I just mentioned at work on Monday that it, I can't remember how it came up. We were talking about like MMA fighting or something. And I was like, yeah, that's why I always fight dirty with pocket sand. Um, <laughs> pocket sand. I'm not going to, I'm not going to play safe. I could get hurt. <laughs> I, I fight dirty by going, look, what's that over there? And then running like hell. Exactly. It's a great strategy. That's actually like my go-to strategy. from ever being you know, solid, accosted solid downtown strategy. and just be like, there's a police officer right there and you're trying to mug me. Then when they look, I run. Um, anyway, 
good 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 back pocket plan if you ever can employ it in the event I of an emergency. throw my wallet at them street smarts <laughs> i'm so glad you, you saw that bit um anyway back to the show we are <laughs> underwater uh draco's trying to explain to his troops he thinks he has a plan to get them to like quit doing dumb shit which is where he gave all of them secret special orders give them all made, dumb shit and made them all think that they were like the whole war could hinge on it um and then Harry uh, takes a deep breath, of, and then, you know, scene change to Harry, and he's, oh, yeah, I'll just read this whole bit, it's really short. Harry took a deep breath, feeling the water gurgle harmlessly in his lungs. They'd fought in the forest, and he hadn't gotten a chance to say it. They'd fought in the corridors of Hogwarts, and he hadn't gotten a chance to say it. They'd fought in the air, broomsticks issued to every soldier, and he still, and it still hadn't meant say, excuse me, and it still hadn't made sense to say it. Harry had thought he would never get to say these words, not while they were, not there. God damn it, I can't talk. Not while he was still young enough for them to be real. The Chaos Legionaries were looking at Harry in puzzlement as the general swam with his feet pointing up towards the dis- distant light of the surface, his head pointed down towards the murky depths. Why are you upside down? The young commander shouted at his army and began explaining how you fight after you abandoned the privileged orientation of gravity. Privileged orientation. I liked it when that happened uh, because we already knew that he was doing Ender's Game stuff with this and he'd already said like in the other one the prisoner's gate is sideways or the prisoner's gate the uh enemy's gate is sideways um but at that point when he said it made me realize like oh that's what the the underwater bat the purpose of the underwater battle is to make it even more enders gamey um, yeah i, I think uh, cool. i mean the author's obviously a big fan but so is harry Pull- yeah. keep pulling out quotes from it yeah. so um then it well, I, to, yeah, I, I, I like how he just, the way he completely reframed Defense Against the Dark Arts as battle magic um, to turn it into a whole Edmunds game thing. And it, and it kind of makes the, the whole, that whole concept in all of Harry Potter kind of more pertinent. And that like, oh, this is like, there is a practical need for this, that these kids need to learn how to fight. Because um, shit's about to get real, yo. Yeah, I can't even remember if they ever really made that explicit in the canon books or not. Like, maybe when Moody was the instructor, fake Moody, but, yeah. like, they are here to learn self-defense. Like, yeah. this, we're not fucking around. We're not going to teach you how to, you know, scare off nightmare butterflies or whatever. Like, this is, you know, there are people trying to kill you. I'm going to teach you how to make them, I'm going to teach yeah. you how to make it hard for them to do that. Um, yeah, and I think even in the, in the originals, like, they don't, the defense against the dark arts, I don't think is framed it is to some extent but less not very not super explicitly that it is about fighting voldemort um i think maybe because that position gets so mixed up with voldemort so many times but um like it's especially like when you talk about moody like that one seemed like he's just sort of like tossing around like you know impressive battle stories about the you know the reason you're going to need this that or the other but it's it's not very often framed as being this is how you fight death eaters no, it's just it's just like this is yeah. self defense class. Boggarts. Yeah. yeah, and I mean that's that stuff's important too. There are magical creatures that are out to get you, but yeah. um, I like I like Quirrell's version of battle magic a lot. Yeah. So uh, anyway, then it goes to Hermione's position, and um, let's see. I mean, trying again. So like this, we're like what I don't know halfway through this chapter. So like the rest of it's the battle, but yeah. like there there are, there are bits that I want to pull out, but for the most part. Um, the, yeah, so like it was cool reading. I was like, it's a, a long read and cool, but yeah, there there isn't as much to talk about. Was, and then this really cool battle happened. Yeah, there like there are parts in it, but it's it's hard to hard to summarize well. I yeah. think there's a whole talent to I think summarizing like long fight scenes, mm-hmm. which I will say that the 
the nice folks over at We've Got Ward do expertly. Um, there are long sequences of like superhero battles, basically, and mm. kind of like this. They're hard to summarize, but they do they do a really good job pulling out the bullet points and the highlights. And it's weird because like the whole thing is kind of a highlight, but they can still get these really cool beats out of it. So do check them out. Um, so basically, on Doof Media. That's right. Oh, there we dot go. com. Uh, Hermione sends seven of her troops, I think, off with Zabini, Zabini um, and they're pretty sure that's all the traitors, and they... So, oh yeah, I mean, the scoring system is kind of convoluted, but basically, you can declare yourself for whatever team you want, and if you shoot an enemy, you get a point for the team that you declared yourself for. Um, executing traitors can cost you a point, and uh, sh- that's the short version, but... Yeah, so the battle opens up with uh, um, what sounds like someone taking out Mr. Crab because there's like different gongs that you can sound through the mm. the lake that the combatants can hear, and so it was the um, the sound of somebody executing a traitor. So anyway, uh, Harry's plan was to basically like, all right, cool. Now that you're not like fighting, like you're walking towards people swim towards them directly, like, head-on, and that way your Partigo shield will actually yeah. cover, like, your entire profile. Um, yeah, I don't think I got that until... Like, I knew the idea of, like, exposing less of a profile, but I don't think it was until later when Ron and um, and Neville are, like, going straight at each other, the, the, like, the importance of, like, not only is your profile smaller, but then your shield is a full-on shield. Exactly. Um, you're, completely, you're completely covered if you're um, head-first at the guy. Right. Yeah. And then the uh, Dragon Army and the Chaos Army swim together and meet up. And in unison, they all shout, For Sunshine, which is how you declare which mm-hmm. team you're part of. Which now means that for every time one of them gets killed, Sunshine loses a point. Um, so then there's a, like a two-line cut to Minerva. And she's like, what? And everyone's watching like from the stands. It's like this whole spectacle and Quirrell laughs. He's like, I warned you, Headmaster, it's impossible to have rules without Mr. Potter exploiting them. Mm-hmm. This is the part, like, I got so lost in, like, the point. The, like, I knew at that point, I'm like, okay, it's being gamed because they figured out what the what the flaw in the rules are. But, like, the, like, okay, you get, because I, I guess I first got lost. Like, what is the, what, how are the points allotted that there's any motivation for you to, sh- like, when they say, okay, I am, uh, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but why would you kill in the name of a different team? Like, how does that benefit you? So if you really want Sunshine to, to win and you're on Dragon Army and you're like a traitor, you'll declare yourself for Sunshine, shoot a dragon, and then Sunshine gets points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so then why are they purposely, why are Harry and Draco oh, declaring they- themselves for Sunshine? Because if you shoot somebody from your own team, or who's declared themselves from your own team, your team loses a point. And Hermione's so far ahead that their plan is to go at her, and then just have her lose a bunch of points taking out their soldiers. I still apologize. I'm just not... I need, like, a whiteboard. No, sorry. I'll try and say it one more time. So. <laughs> I don't... I, you know, it's, that's, the failure of this chapter was, like, failing to make me give a shit. I was just like, okay, he figured out a way to game it, and it involves, like, lying about who you're shooting at. That's the short version. The yeah. and like the, the the one the full sentence version is basically um, Hermione's team is ahead. If they declare themselves to be on Hermione's team, 
then when Hermione's actual team takes them out, Hermione loses points. So because she's winning in the, the wish contest, they've realized that we can't win if we just take out her soldiers. We need her to lose points. So the goal is to have her lose a bunch by by shooting at, quote, her own soldiers, even though they're on the other, the command of the other two generals. Uh, okay, I slept. If that's not fun for to... you, then the fun part will be the, the scene change to, <laughs> to Neville and uh, Ron showing down, where Ron or Neville is like, blood for the blood god! And uh, then, uh, rainbows and unicorns, roared the sunshine captain. <laughs> the black goat with a thousand young! Do your homework is one of their battle cries, which I just love so much. Um, and then uh, he says, special attack, chaotic twist. And it was as Harry had thought when Guardian Leviosa became a different kind of weapon when everyone was underwater and the weights were different. So he, they were, his team was able to kind of swing him around Ron and he's able to get him. He just I didn't, yeah, I didn't follow. So was he, did he use Guardian Leviosa on Ron? And like float him was it i i wasn't clear on that just so was it to like push ron so that he was no longer facing head on to him yeah i think so okay. so he, he grabs him and kind of swings him up or something it looks like okay and then ron's like curse you long bottom can't you ever fight without your dumb special attacks <laughs> and then neville says i don't fight fair i fight like harry potter which is just hilarious and then we get the score breakdown where it's a little closer now um and let's see Oh, where he, um, because then Harry, I guess, so it's like off camera, Harry shoots Hermione. I like how I use the term off camera, like there's a camera. Um, ah, off screen, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so we, re- so it was kind of after the fact, um, Harry has, has shot Hermione. He's talking about how he feels bad, uh, for having shot her. And part of it, I was like, you know, he, it wasn't for real, but I guess that's part of what he walks us through is. Um, that he knows that, but it still bothers him that he that he shot her. I liked a little bit about about that scene is that we get kind of get. To, there's a lot of times where we don't get to see the motivations for what Harry is doing because we're like not in his point of view. But this is one of those times where not only what like was he saying. There's been times where he says something that sounds like empathetic, but we're not sure. Like there's reasons that we're maybe not sure that that he's being fully sincere but this is a point where like we were in his head as he's talking about how he felt bad for having shot Hermione um and that we can see like that's legit you know serious and that, which then also um lets us know that those other times where he's kind of like bullshitting Draco about his reasonings for being nice to Hermione that those points are bullshit and that he really does like her so it was, it was nice to have that yeah it's fun because like from other people's points of view um it's not always clear, like, if he's trying to be deceptive or if he's, you know, yeah. just putting on, like, spinning for his audience or whatever. And then when it's in his own head, you finally get to see what he's thinking. And he actually, you know, he feels bad about it because it's just weird seeing yeah. that you've knocked your friend unconscious. And then I like the little line where it's like he's kind of talking with himself back and forth and he glances back mm. and, see, she's fine. There's bubbles coming out of her mouth. And that could have been her last breath escaping. Oh, be quiet. Why are you so paranoid protective anyway? Uh, first real friend we've ever had in our whole life. Hey, remember what happened to our pet rock? <laughs> I know. I'm like, wait, what did ha- what what did he do to a rock? It was mentioned like when McGonagall um, wanted uh, like, hey, do you want to get an owl or something? And he's like, mm-hmm. no, I had a pet rock once. It died. It died. Yeah. Yeah. So he's like, oh, would you shut up did... about that worthless lump of rubble? It wasn't even alive. <laughs> that's, that's like the most pathetic childhood trauma ever. 
anyway, that 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 works for me. Oh, so yeah, and we so we got to get again that they. I think this one I followed a little bit. The whole thing was just kind of the, the scoring system and its importance to the plot was was confusing. I can I can hear the people in the chat room mocking me for not understanding it. Um, well, I think because it takes effort to understand it, and like if you're not invested enough to, then there's no real sense in doing it. Yeah. Like you got the gist of it, which is there's a point system involved now where there previously haven't been in other battles, yeah. and the more points, like the one with the most points, wins the wish. So, yeah. like aside from exactly how it works, like that's that's the gist of it. If you got yeah. that, then you're you're good enough. And for... I think I think I followed this last, but so then they start um, they start shooting each, or they shoot their spies in the name of. Um, sunshine um, so that and the theory of that being that it is okay they're far enough ahead of uh, Hermione that it's uh, better to give her the point to keep the other guy from getting the point it's okay to give it to Hermione because she won't get enough to win that theory ends up biting them in the ass um, but that part I at least follow is like okay it's not so much that like giving the point to Hermione is that you know that that's you're denying it to the other guy by doing that right but again that's the part i don't well why don't they just take the point for themselves but whatever i, I think it was because even if they'd won every point they could mm-hmm. if they lost any points fighting each other then they then granger still would have won so they needed to make sure she lost points too um in any case what i like too is then next it's like the prismatis shield that draco did during the first battle but what's fun is that in water it's like this whole orb around you um oh, yeah. And then there's this long, convoluted kind that of like... That felt very Aquaman. It did. Yes. I, even I can follow that. Um, then there's this, uh, like, Tarantino-style showdown, slash Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, um, oh, where yeah. they're trying to double and triple bluff each other again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're the one who put in the notes that Tarantino wrote the ending, and I wrote I know, lol. Lol. <laughs> L-A-W-L. Hey, I'm, um, not, I'm, not, I'm not an asshole. I wrote LOL. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it kept being, because again, also in my continued confusion about like how the points were stacking up and what it meant for one person to shoot the other person. And I kept being like, okay, and then they shot somebody and they shot somebody. I didn't get into the way, so it ends up getting to where Zabini is. Is he literally the only person alive at the end? At the very end, yeah. At the very end, yeah, he's, he's the last one alive. Um, oh, I'd put a note, I hadn't said anything. I had realized uh, several pages before this that uh, uh, because Zabini at, at least the first my first recollection of Zabini in the story was in the beginning of uh, as Sunshine is first formed and, and that the cooperation between Hermione and Zabini that little sexist part of my brain I'd realized uh, I decided because my my understanding of the existence of Zabini was as the cooperating Sunshine uh, member of Hermione's team that Zabini must be a girl. Um, I'm like, and there was, so there was some point earlier where it's like, I'm like, oh wait, Zabini's a dude. So, well, appara- apparently being nice and cooperative is a female trait in my brain. <laughs> well, I guess there's there's two things to say on that. One, he was bizarrely cooperative, cooperative and hardly nice. But two. You can flip that that sexism on its head and say, "Hey, look! I didn't think that like high level Slytherin plotting was a male exclusive thing." <laughs> you should have just said I that. Guess, uh, well, no, that was no. Actually, is to uh, 
continue being the bad guy in that. I think that's when he, uh, it was pointed out that he was possibly plotting. That's when it then occurred to me. I'm like, oh, wait, it's not a, not a chick. Apparently so. I'm not proud of this line of thought. It wasn't intentional. But it happens. There you go. It happens. Um, anyway, there's then there's a kind of more build up to the show to the showdown, which basically it's Harry and uh, what Padma and Sabini and Draco, and they're kind of like arguing back and forth about how. Um, oh, I think part of it too is Padma Patil and um, Parvati Patil are twins. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And there was some fuckery involved there. Uh, then there was the. Um, and somebody then was like, I order you not to let me shoot. I'd be like, the game is coming to an end here. Order me my ass. But Yeah. Yeah. He says, I order you to let me shoot you in the name of Sunshine. So whatever. Um, and then uh, he basically just, you know, quick draws on her and takes her out. So anyway, um, Harry and Draco are both taken out uh, over different bluffs of what they had thought they knew about Zabini, about like whether or not his, you know, hey, well, Mm-hmm. Draco says to Harry, well, hey, her, his mom hates, uh, um, you know, the boy who lived and she wouldn't like, you know, him working with you. And um, he doesn't actually have an older brother that you can protect from bullies. And then when Draco's unconscious, Harry says to his uh, floating body, well, he does actually have a cousin. And then um, then he gets zapped by Zabini mm-hmm. as well. And then Zabini zaps Parvati. And then he's like addressing the whole class. And it has this kind of fun little... Um, looks at the camera yeah exactly he looks at the camera and he's like you know in the tones of someone who'd been rehearsing the words for a while it's just a game really and games are supposed to be fun so how about if i just do whatever i feel like mm-hmm. and, and, that, we, and, and then it ends and we're not quite sure what he did i like and it's so when the next chapter opens it's like okay it was a tie because he shot himself but uh i like my thought with that like it comes out as a tie i'm like no actually so zabini actually won the whole game because uh, if he had if he had chosen to do it on behalf of somebody so that he could pick the winner then he was get, making them the winner and it was sort of like he's being kind of subservient to whoever he helps win but when he does it like he is the winner then nobody won but he was the one that decided nobody won so he wins that would have been a fun move for our move quarrel to to say you know what i'm changing the rules again yeah. zabini wins zabini you guys wins. all lost um but the original rules were that you know, points go to the generals. So. That's the thing. But in the in the spirit of the points, are not really uh, worth anything anyway. Sabini really wins. Well, they're worth the Christmas wish. Yes. So, Which I um, guess we're going to find out next chapter what actually is. Well, we, no, it's in chapter yeah. 34. We got we got the wishes. Um, uh, yeah, we got they, the wishes, just, but nobody's going nobody's to get them. They turned out to be, well, yeah. we'll have to see. But yes. they, tur- they turned out to be drastically un- unexciting for... Um, uh, for Draco and Hermione, they both just want their houses to win the House Cup. Um, Which I guess like, I was like, okay, predictable for Draco. I was I was a bit disappointed that Hermione would actually wish for that. Like it's yeah, pretty lame, it's a pretty lame wish. It's weird, you know. Maybe that has something to do, and this is me not actually remembering how this came about. Maybe when Dumbledore talked to her in the hallway, maybe he like put the idea like, hey, what if uh, you did the House Cup or something? Um, but I don't know if we're ever explicitly told that, so that is an honest guess on my part. So. Oh, we can we can crowdsource from our helpful audience uh, to tell us what the significance of the final score is. Because I don't know, as a programmer, were you also noticing that they were like all right on the edge of having 256 points? 
I mean, I noticed that they're on the edge of it. I don't yeah. see anything I kept thinking significant like there was about them being just, at almost eight bits. Yeah, I, I, it just it was standing out to me like it seemed like a very coincidental number, and then, but now I'm even more puzzled that they all ended up with 254 points. Maybe that's no, no significance to it, but if somebody could, if if somebody listening gets what the what the deal is, it seems the the number seems weirdly specific. Two fifty four, two fifty four, two fifty four. So it's a really, really boring shade of almost pure white. I was going to ask you what color that was. So if it's that, F-E. then it's, that, it's all turned away. F e f e f e. That hardly sounds like it. Then that's very, very white. Nice. Fee fee fee. Well, anyway. Fee fee. Um, Hermione and Draco just agree with each other right away. Um, like that. All right, that's it. No more traitors. This isn't fun anymore. Forget it. And Harry says, and what do you two intend to do about it? Professor Quirrell already said he wouldn't ban spies. And Draco says, we'll ban them for him. Whatever that means. Yeah. So then there's this cool, ornate stage. And um, I was reminded of the final scene in uh, Star Wars. Nice, yeah. They're all up on the stage getting medals and shit. I think it was mentioned at the beginning of the the previous chapter where... uh, Minerva and uh, Albus got to team up and like conjure this thing. That's so like right. they got to flex some magic at it. Oh yeah, the, yeah that's kind of cool. McGonagall, McGonagall was all sort of proud that she got to do something like super impressive with her transfiguration skills. Yeah, it's probably not often you actually get to like try hard, mm. um, especially when you're just teaching kids. I remember so. I like I, those are some of my favorite scenes from the movies. Not not so much. I think it plays better in the movies, but those scenes where you could see, especially with like McGonagall, where you can see the teachers are actually super badass wizards. I like those scenes, especially like McGonagall, like when they like disarm people or. Yeah, it's easy to forget that like yeah. oh yeah they're also really competent like yeah. they're teaching kids but yeah they're actually good at this stuff. Um, so. Uh, I mean, we could take this in whatever whatever style you want, but basically, um, Quirrell gets up holding his envelopes with the wishes, and he's like, well, this is inconvenient. And there's a bit of laughter going through the crowd, and um, he says, well, there's nothing for it. I'll have to do what's fair. Um, although first, there's a speech I wanted to make before even that before that happens. So, But before even that, Mr. Malfoy and Miss Granger have something they wish to share. And... They both go up there yeah. and say we're we're done with traitors and we're gonna team up on General Chaos if he if he allows traitors. General Chaos. Oh yeah, I'd forgotten like, the uh, the pun with his name. It's just General, General Chaos. Chaos. Just General yeah, Chaos. It's perfect. Major pain. <laughs> Major pain. Uh, <laughs> um, General Chaos. Uh, yeah. So they say um, we won't. We're not going to use uh, traitors anymore. And if we find out uh, that Harry has, we're going to gang up on him and so that they're sort of forming their own united nations um what it made me think is they were saying that though is like you can't like you cannot declare that traitors don't exist like traitors always exist um not just like oh traitors will be there but you you do not eliminate traitors by saying that traitors are gone you just have said that they're gone and still have to worry about them being there yeah and it was uh and that's that's sort of or harry's response so they they come come forward and they say like you know what do you have to say about that and he's like wait we're still happy to accept traitors see on the battlefield and it's like are you trying to be obnoxious hermione says to him and he's like no certainly i just i won't make you do it every time beat me once and i'll stay beaten but threats aren't always enough general Mm -hmm. of sunshine you do not ask me to join with you but simply try to impose your will and sometimes you must actually defeat the enemy to impose your will on him 
You see, I am skeptical that Hermione Granger, the brightest academic star of Hogwarts, and Draco, son of Lucius, scion of the noble and most ancient house of Malfoy, can work together to beat a common foe, Harry Potter. An amused smile crossed his face, and he says, maybe I'll just do what Draco tried. Oh, no, that's a whole other thing. Um, he basically says, like, I'll, maybe I'll write a letter to, to Lucius or something, and yeah. then... Um, but I like his saying, no, you actually have to do it. Like, I'm not going to just let, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, bow beneath your threat. You guys actually do this, then I'll, I'll, I'll admit defeat and I'll stop using traitors and all this well, shit. And it, but, and it sort of like makes you like see the, the uncomfortable truth behind, like you don't just declare that everybody has to follow the rules now. And it means that everybody's going to follow the rules now. Like you're always in a state of uncertainty and having to worry about other people acting in bad faith. Totally. And Harry seems trying, like he's yeah. going to try and exploit that for something. So, yeah. um, and then Quirrell says, well, uh, that was not how I expected this particular conversation to go. Truthfully, Mr. Potter, I expected you to concede immediately and with a smile and then announce that it long since out, that you had long since worked out my intended lesson, but it decided not to f- spoil it for others. Indeed, I planned my speech accordingly, Mr. Potter. And Harry just shrugs and is like, ah, sorry about that. <laughs> I know, I like that. And Harry's just like, eh. Whatevs. Yeah. And then there's this nice tone shift, and it says, If not for Harry Potter, Professor Quirrell, said Professor Quirrell, his voice crisp as the cold as, er, eh, his voice as crisp and cold as December, if not for Harry Potter, you know who would have won. And then the silence was instant and total. I thought, I, um, and it again made me uh, wonder about Quirrell as Voldemort. Uh, it kept standing out to me that he kept referring to him as he who must not be named. And I guess that would be like him staying in character or whatever, but it, at least the way I was reading it, it rang sort of true. That like, oh, he's um, sincerely not wanting to name him. That um, he more stood out. Like, it, it felt more that, oh, Quirrell considers Voldemort an enemy. Yeah, he oscillates between Dark Lord and you-know-who yeah. here. But, um, yeah, it he certainly seems to be speaking derisively of... So yeah. like he, he gives this long, awesome speech. I think it's awesome. Um, where basically he's like, he says, make no mistake. There were fewer and fewer R's who dared face him. And the vigilant, vigilantes who opposed him were being hunted down. One Dark Lord and perhaps 50 Death Eaters were winning against a country of thousands. Mm-hmm. That is beyond ridiculous. There are no grades low enough for me to mark that incompetence. And... He's, he goes on, I, I don't want to read this whole thing, but I almost kind of yeah. really want to. Um, he's basically pointing out that, like, because everyone was divided and no one would actually, like, stand behind a strong leader and fight him, 50 irregulars were going to, like, overthrow a nation. Mm-hmm. a nation, And they were going to do it by taking them alive. This this wasn't, uh, you know, an insane de- uh, dark lord who wanted to, like, just destroy the planet or destroy the country. He wanted to rule everybody. And he almost did it with a few dozen soldiers. Yeah. I thought it was because this was a very, like, uh, Slytherin argument to, to make. Uh, not in, like, a, oh, evil's good or anything, but that it was, like, oh, this worked. Voldemort, Voldemort was able to do this because his people had their shit in line. Um, and that that's sort of an argument for, like, the practicality of, of Slytherin. Like, sometimes you just got to get shit done. Um, but then it purposely gets super um, evil sounding because he uses some very explicitly fascist terminology. He says, uh, unity and strength, I think, or strength and unity. I can't remember what he uses. That's a, a explicitly like the, I think the name for fascism comes from like bundle of sticks. 
uh, yeah, image. I think that's the case. Um, um, yeah, I think he, he holds up an open hand and he says division, and then he closes it into a fist and he says strength. Yeah. You know, unity is strength. Um, and I mean, it's tough because like, he's got a point. And this is yeah. an endorsement of fascism, but if you're being attacked by an enemy that is winning against you and they're in smaller numbers, there, there's there's no reason you guys should be losing. It's yeah. because you guys refuse to stand up and you know either get be- well, Quirrell's advocating get behind somebody and mm-hmm. do what they say and let them lead you into victory. There's no way you guys would have lost. Yeah, the, the dark lord could have beaten. Was like the the mark of Britain instead of the dark mark. Yeah, he yeah. had said you know. So he, he brings up uh, Yermi Wibble, which is a character made up for the story. I did double check. Yeah, I Googled um, it too. We've gotten enough uh, enough hate in the Discord for like speculating about stuff from canon, so I just finally went to, um, what, HP Lexicon. Right. I'll, I'll just keep taking that fire for you. Oh, I mean, I miss it too. It's no big deal. But in any case, Yermi Wibble doesn't exist in canon, but he was a character in this that he apparently wrote a newspaper thing saying... Uh, he didn't. Uh, what was it? He didn't quite have the vision to pro- to propose a mark of Britain, but he did want to institute a national draft. And Yermi Wibble knew what would happen to him, and he hoped his death would inspire others. So the Dark Lord took his family for good measure. Their empty skins inspired nothing but fear, and no one dared speak again, or sp- dared to speak that again. Um, so it it's kind of a a good reverse horror tactic from the Dark Lord to respond yeah. to well, that. It's like, yeah, and it's sort of like an uncomfortable. Uh, way like that argument goes in both directions and it's not comfortable because he totally like has a point like everybody just sort of like stood around hoping somebody else would take care of the problem um, and that's what let him win but then also like the his proposals for that solution are so very clearly sound like just authoritarian and, and awful so you're kind of like stuck in this uncomfortable in between of not really being sure what the right way to deal with that is it's like um when when Rome was, and you know, the, the the Republic of Rome would like give emergency power to the Caesar when mm. like to Palpatine, exactly. Yes. Um, they, you know, Star Wars never really handled anything particularly well, but um, the whole idea of like giving emergency power to the leader, like, all right, cool, it's crisis time. There's no, there's time. no room for us to be uh, sitting here arguing. The Patriot in the Act. Uh, I mean, if the Patriot Patriot Act came with a distinct clause of like this is over when the war that we're exactly fighting. Well, that's something. Yeah, I think that's the that's the point that Harry makes after this is like <clears throat> is that that's how Patriot Acts happen. Is because we're and that's all also like, how trying Rome, to get behind. Yeah, that's also how Rome's Republic fell. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they, like these these don't just work temporarily. But um, Harry has the or uh, Quirrell has this great line of, well, there's a couple of them. I'm I'm not reading the whole thing, despite how much I'm reading of it. <laughs> he says. Um, and your parents would have faced the consequences for their despicable cowardice, if not for being saved by a one-year-old boy. A dramatist would have called that a DX machina, for they did nothing to earn their salvation. He who must not be named may not may not have deserved to win, but make no doubt of it, your parents deserved to lose. Harsh. Uh, and he says, and was, was at this point that he said Deus Ex Machina after I'd come up with the Dumbledore Ex Machina. Before that, I'm like, oh, stole my thunder. Nah, your thunder still works. <laughs> Um, and he says, and know this, your parents learned nothing. The nation is still fragmented and weak. How few decades passed between Grindelwald and you know who? Um, and he's like, do you guys think you'll live your whole lives without seeing a threat? Uh, you guys will ha- you've seen what will happen if you, you repeat the follies of your parents, like you saw in today's battle. I can tell you what your parents will do. Um, they, 
they have not learned their lesson. They'll hide like cowards and do nothing while they wait for Harry Potter to mm-hmm. save them. When I read that, it reminded me of, because um, I think this is sort of like the basic gist behind uh, The Watchmen. Um, I was super disappointed that that show got didn't get re-upped for a second season. But the original um, comic book, kind of the idea um, is that like, superheroes kind of infantilized society that everybody just got used to like sitting around and hoping that like Dr. Manhattan would help them win Vietnam. Um, and that, that grownups had sort of abdicated the responsibility for running the world because you can just sit around and wait for a superhero to, to fix everything. And I think that was kind of the, the general theme behind, um, Watchmen was just sort of a biting the hand that feeds you about comic books. Um, that superheroes are basically, uh, silly, childish idea um that's what this reminded me of uh what Quirrell was saying is like are you just turning into a bunch of children hoping that harry potter will save you um no i like the comparison yeah um he also throws some shade at lucius he says that he predicts that when the next threat arises that lucius malfoy will stand up and say you have to follow him but he's not really you know he's not cool enough he didn't actually do it when the dark lord fell and then that's when draco gets like kind of upset um, yeah, but I imagine that'd be hard to hear. <laughs> yeah, it says that he his, and his fists were clenched white, and they're <laughs> exactly, and there were tears in his eyes, and fury, and unbearable shame. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he says like I'm not speaking on my on my own behalf. Time will make clear that soon that this is not so. Um, I make no recommendation, my students, but I say that if a whole country were to find a leader as strong as the Dark Lord, but honorable and pure, and take his mark, then they could crush any Dark Lord like an insect. And the rest of our divided magical world would not threaten them. Um, and if some greater still enemy were to rise against us in a war of extermination, then only a magical united world would, could survive. Which is kind of like what we were talking about with um, the last uh, episode about the uh, uh, robber's cave experiment. Which, unfortunately, yeah. that particular ver- in, uh, version of it was uh, not just failed to replicate, but was apparently way more full of holes than I thought. So Yeah, I saw Ian um, talking about it on the Discord. Oh, that's right. He pinged us yeah, both. Yeah. Um, so that's a bummer, but the the general sentiment I, I'll still think I I think still makes sense. Um, yes, yeah, common common enemy. Yeah. Oh, we mentioned the badass Dumbledore thing, but we didn't actually get to we didn't call it out. So oh, yeah. when when like the cacophony takes off and everyone starts freaking out, he just like what was it like a tower of Hogwarts just like yeah. shoots these gigantic fireworks. Yeah, he just yeah he just sort of like sets off a big yeah explosion to freak everybody out. And I think, yeah, and that's shortly after, because a little before that, he just kind of, uh, I don't remember what exactly it was that Quirrell had said, but it's some, like, eventually uh, Dumbledore's just tired of Quirrell's shit. Like, he's decided that Quirrell has gone too far in what he's saying, and he, uh, I think, what is the words? He just says, that's enough, or something. Um, and these, yeah. are not, these are not words for uh, children to hear or to come from the mouths of a, of a professor. Um, but yeah, it was kind of another, like, okay, one of those cool displays of, oh, Dumbledore's actually super powerful. Totally. Yeah. And then I liked Quirrell's response to that, and he says, there were many speeches made for the ears of adults as the Dark Lord rose, and the adults clapped and cheered and went home having enjoyed their day's entertainment. But I'll obey you, Headmaster. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I think this so. is what was interesting, because it, uh, was, it was super threatening um, and uncomfortable, the kinds of the way he was talking and what he was suggesting, but it did come across as very sincere, his, uh, hatred of Voldemort. And this is where I'm like, okay, I guess he's not Voldemort cause I'm totally buying this. 
I can guarantee that that's the most important part of the story. Yes. This whole speech. Yes. Um, and then, so what he does say is that uh, he kind of turns it like into a nice little like moment, and it, what was it? Uh, his mouth quirked up in a wry grin that seemed just seemed to dissipate the dreadful pressure like a god blowing to scatter the clouds. But please do be kind to the traitors up until now. They were just having fun. <laughs> yeah, I like that. They did a good job these couple chapters. Just like the kind of smartass is the wrong word for it, but like a nihilism. Just like Quirrell enjoys just watching shit go wrong. And then it goes to a Draco POV where he's kind of like looking incredulously at Harry and like you know Quirrell didn't name him as like we should all follow Harry Potter, but mm-hmm. he did mention him a bunch of times in his speech and he was just like no fucking way that screw that you know this this kid and then um then draco kind of resolves like well it'll have to be me then won't it um and then quirrell's reading the the wishes where it's like all right your wishes for slytherin to win the house cup and he says would you like to say anything about that and he's like no they're slytherins they'll understand um it was such a i think intentionally like you hear that i'm like really that's that's lame that's a lame wish, and you're lame for thinking it. Well, <laughs> he thinks other things. Um, he just, I think that he, he wants to go with the, the easier answer that would be also be, it, I think he even says flattery is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, not that, just that, like that knowing that Draco's wish was for them to win the House Cup, which is both like, okay, it's a silly goal, but also why did you think that Quirrell has the power to grant that? Well, he said he had put the full power of his ingenuity behind it, and as Dumbledore showed us from canon, you're allowed just to re- award stupid amounts of points. Exactly. So maybe he'll just wait to the last day of classes and give you know Slytherin 10,000 points. Um, but we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, and but then of course, goes, it can't no, be that easy. 10 million points. Like, no, 10 billion points. Infinity. Infinity plus one. <laughs> That's a pissing contest I'd love to see. <laughs> But it can't, it can't be that easy because Hermione also wishes for Ravenclaw to win the House Cup. Yes. And so that makes it fun. Um, she gives this little speech about how she wants to be remembered that, you know, Ravenclaw is important too. So um, houses, houses ought to stand for something. I think that, that was a, a lame speech that I think we were supposed to see as lame. I felt like it was lame too. So yeah, it, think, and there's think, even a line too. I think too. that was intended. This supports my this wasn't her idea hypothesis that because um, it's from Draco's point of view. But like, so he says, you know, Granger, do you want to say anything about that? And she's like, well, um, she suddenly sounds like she's trying to remember a memorized speech. Mm-hmm. And then then she goes through that whole thing. So maybe that was I'm going to go with that. It's yeah. well, uh, are, these wishes. It's like, not really fair for me to make predictions, but I did honestly forget. So and the wishes were made prior to them knowing the outcome right so this is what they really thought if it was just them winning that they were going to get i believe so yeah i think i want to maybe a little bit is that hermione just wasn't taking the competition seriously and so she not not that she didn't think she would win but that like she thought the whole thing was sort of absurd and so wasn't really invested in in what she would get out of winning but again this is like dumbledore took her aside and said what are you going to wish for so i think this is not a resolved issue not a resolved issue more fun is Harry Potter's wish. There was a pause as Professor Quirrell looked at the parchment. Then, without any change of expression on his face, the sheet of parchment burst into flames. Um, and then he just says, please confine yourself to the possible, Mr. Potter. I like how we just have no idea what 
I went even farther. That my my bullshit this week is Tarantino themed. That the fact that uh, we didn't get to see what the wish was was like the uh, scene in uh, Pulp Fiction where we don't get to know what's inside the briefcase. Oh yeah, do you want to read the just something amazing? <laughs> do you want to read the Jules quote that you pulled out when Quirrell was <laughs> no, giving just, a speech? It was a, it's a, I was just reminded the way Quirrell like you thought Quirrell was like super awesome. I thought it was I still liked it, but I thought Quirrell was a little over the top and uh, a little uh, boomy voiced and uh, mustache twirling with how. Uh, fire and brimstone is being so it, was, it reminded me of the uh, Sam Jackson and I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers and you will know I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon you it just reminded me of that he was yeah. pretty uh, you did lean back a bit from the mic on that but that's okay uh, sorry. now people know everyone knows the quote and if you yes. don't you can find it on Nick Fury's headstone at the end of Captain America Winter Soldier <laughs> it's got it's got the Ezekiel twenty four whatever. Nice. Which I also I think, love I, read, I, think I read that that's a that's only a it's like a, a a poor quote. It's only sort of from Ezekiel. I I don't remember though. I think it, I'm not. I depends on probably which Bible you pick up. Yeah. Um, what's really fun is to read the kids' version of the Bible, uh, <laughs> like the one geared towards children, and read all like the weird shit, like the obsession with like cutting off foreskins and animal sacrifices, nice. and read that in the like geared towards children under ten version. <laughs> Strong recommend. What is the children under ten version of foreskins? Uh, it's been a while. I mainly remember like the parts where like uh, it's in Deuteronomy or something where one of the the rules is like, and thou shalt carry a paddle upon thy weapon, so that when thou uh, eases thyself abroad, thou can turn therewith and bury that which cometh from thee. Which in the in the kids' version translates to, when you're marching with your with your army, always be sure to carry a shovel so you can bury your poop. <laughs> it's just delightful. All right then. Yep. All right. That's your Bible lesson for this episode. Practical um, advice. So. Uh, Basically, Harry gets a chance to think of another wish, and he gives this long... It's like, it's kind of like a reverse to uh, Quirrell's yeah. speech, which uh, he talks about how people fear traitors because not, not just the, dra- the damage the traitor can do, but because of they're afraid of what traitors can cost them. Um, he used that strategy today to almost win. Um, he didn't tell them to do as much damage as possible. He told them to act in a way that would create the most distrust and confusion. And then they, he, it, I mean, you'll have to read, I'm just reading the rest yeah, of the chapter at that. this point. But the short version is, is that he thinks, okay, cool. There's a generalizable lesson to this that uh, we, we need to like be able to challenge the rules and look at what is and say, this isn't good enough. Um, yeah. And so and also my wish. Like this other thing that sort of like the terrorism argument is basically what he's saying that like the damage is more the fear it causes than the actual damage. Totally, yeah. and, and that that's so the, the that like that's the sinister side to the quarrel version of this is like oh if we all unite behind a strong solution then we're basically, you know, overreacting in the way that was intended. So, yeah, then the terrorists win. Right. So that's that's Harry's concern basically, and so his his way to symbolize or the wish of what we can do in Hogwarts to. Uh, emphasize like that we can actually change stupid rules is that we think I think Hogwarts should play credits without the snitch um, <laughs> and then everybody loses their shit 
Oh yeah. Oh, that's when this Dumbledore is what, yeah. Then, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. then there's a 15 seconds of riot and then Dumbledore makes the tower explode to get everybody to shut up. And like, it's cool. Cause they're not even in Hogwarts. They're like in the field nearby. I know, yeah. And he just like, I'm not sure what Dumbledore does. He just wills like, Oh yeah, I want that Yay. tower to shoot fire. Um, which is so cool. Is, there are those that call me Tim. It's Monty perfect. Python reference. You're not going to get. No, that was in Holy Grail. Oh, was not Okay. That's the one you've seen. There you go. Yep. And uh, then Quirrell says, all right, so be it, Mr. Potter. Your will be done. Of course, I did only promise one cunning plot, and that's all the three of you will get. And then they're like, wait, you mean we have to agree on a wish? And oh, no, that'd be far too much to ask. Um, This part, like, we're left on a cliffhanger with this, but I totally, I'm like, wait, we're going to get three awards, but only one plot. And what does he mean when he says one plot? So... Well, and two of the wishes I'm are mutually confused. exclusive. Oh, yeah. So. And then. Oh, yeah. And Harry's like, oh, you can't possibly do that and, and quarrel. What, did, what was the exact words? It was something like, uh, it was in the, along the spirit of, you'll learn to expect more from me. It's like, oh, you're too young to be telling me what I'm not capable of doing. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. So then he says, truthfully, I have no confidence in your ability to learn from this day's lesson. Go home, enjoy your time with your family or what's left of them while they still live. My own family is long since dead at the Dark Lord's hand. I'll see you all on classes resume. And then, like, it kind of goes back to Grimm, and then he says, but you, Mr. Uh, Potter, I would speak to now. Because, you know, a teacher wants to see him after class. Yeah, I knew we'd get uh, one. I know. There you go. Pulling a Brian. Kidding. Kidding. I just like, He's not kidding, everybody. I just, I just like pissing you guys off. Quick, get it, 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 it amuses me how much it, like, disturbs people. But, well, I mean, yeah. there's there's a level like when you're when it's obvious fun, it's one thing. Like, yeah. I think uh, maybe like I haven't read other Harry Potter fan fiction. Maybe there's enough. Uh, well, like, I guess that would be straight creepy, but yeah, yeah. Maybe there's there's another level of weird bullshit where um, there are some people who you know take that shit and run with it in fan fiction or something. So rest assured, that's not happening here. Um, yeah. So yeah, so, that's yeah, our guess, three chapters, yeah, and we don't know. So we're gonna have some resolution in the next chapter about how these how these wishes are granted so we'll see and then we're well, going to finally find out what the hell it was Dumbledore was talking with Hermione about one hopes one hopes so yeah I think that's it for this one um, sorry if we're a tad disjointed it's just been kind of a hectic uh, evening like I said we got started a little over an hour late due to microphone explosions and uh only a small fire, but, you know. Enough. And that's my poor audio quality this week. It's coming through to me okay. I hope it comes okay. out all right to Let's everyone. See. So, fingers crossed. So, that said, I think it can be quick enough. All right. So, for next episode, because of all the mayhem beforehand, I didn't get a chance to think about it beforehand, so I just did some quick skimming. I'm going to say we're going to do chapters 35 through 38 we've got a couple of really short ones so um this will bring it up to i think a good measure of word count slash plot stuff to talk about so 25 or excuse me did i say 25 i meant 35 35. no you said 35 okay good 35 starts at coordination problems part 3 36 is status differentials 37 is interlude crossing the boundary and 38 the cardinal sin so we'll see you guys all next week to uh, check that one out. And don't forget that we are 
part of the Doof Media Network. So do check out um, Doof stuff, not just ours. Uh, I do. Rec- I I'm not just shilling for this. I've been shilling them. Like I said, I say every time. I'll quit you, just. You were, pre- you were shilling back before it was, you know. And I shill for them on my other podcast. Exactly. It's just great. I like their stuff. They're um, shill worthy. I just listened to last week the Doofcast did a movie review of Fight Club because they're reviewing a. Uh, uh, Shoot, who was the director for that? Um, director? For, oh, I don't know. Uh, I should be able to pull it up quickly, but I won't bother. Anyway, they're doing a deconstructing series on the director of that movie. So they're basically watching all of his movies in order and talking about them. Um, so fun fact, nice. they did Fight Club, I think it was their third or fourth episode. And then they had to watch it again for this one like five years later. So I recommend the more recent one, but they're both fun. So. Fight Club violates my rule about see the movie first, then read the book, because I think it would be a problem in either direction, though. The, the book ruins the movie, and the movie ruins the book. I will say it's, that what, listening to them talk really, about that Fight book Club... Is really, actually, I have it right behind me. Nice. Right there. I'm touching it. I will say that, that listening to their review of it made me like the movie more. I didn't really like Fight Club. Um, oh, really? That's, that's one of my favorite movies, actually. And I think it's popular. A lot of people liked it. I think there was enough parts of it just for me that I'm like, eh. Um, but they, I think, hit all the beats that annoyed me, and they give like kind of fun explanations into it. So maybe you would like that one, Brian. You should check it out. I should. I probably all right. Would. Cool. Perfect. Then in that case, come back next week for chapters 35 through 38, and we'll see you all then. Bye, everybody.